We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, and we are recapping all things week four here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So, Sam, let's get this thing going. We got a nice new little uh, little desk here. Little is huge. It's a big desk. I feel it's like, like yelling to you. Yeah. On the other side. Yeah. Well, actually, I think this way we're about the same distance. I apart. know it's the same distance. I know. It's I just know. everything else is uh, is much larger. Yeah. And this is only a temporary home. We yeah. we have a new podcast studio being constructed over that way somewhere over there yeah yeah uh we're not in there yet so we're, not. we're, we're at the desk the studio desk uh but this is nice i like it it is it's very nice so we're at the desk for now and uh <clears throat> we're ready to recap all the week four action you ready to go yeah let's go another crazy sunday of football i'm gonna go in uh whatever order i decide here and we'll add timestamps and tell you where they are let's go let's start with sunday night football you want to start with sunday night football? yeah yeah, yeah. Do you want to touch at all on Thursday night football? No. Wow. We did a little bit on the daily on Friday, but it was more Trevor Lawrence driven. But the Bengals moved to three and one. They do. Yeah. Good job. Joe Burrow played really well. Well done, Bengals. All right. Let's start with Sunday night football. Tampa Bay 19, New England 17. So you don't understand my strategy here. It takes a little time for the audience to build up yeah. here on, on no, YouTube. No, I, I, don't, I don't understand We're it. live head to head with good morning football here. I neither understand it nor care. Okay. So uh, Bucks 19, Patriots 17. A little bit of Brady, little Belichick, little Rain, Mac Jones. It was all sorts of stuff. Exciting game comes down to a Nick Folk, what, 56-yard field goal? Yeah. That gets doinked. Uh, gets doinked or? Get doinked. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think the kick gets doinked as much as. What, what were your thoughts it, on the game here? doink. What were your thoughts on the game? Um, I got it. it. It left me feeling a little dead inside. Really? Yeah. This big hype, you know, Brady, Belichick, the Montana revenge game, the hype that we gave it, and then it's pouring rain in Foxborough, and you're like, this is going to be a crappy game. Because rain, with the exception of, like, horrendous wind, rain torpedoes an NFL game worse than anything else. Like, Renner... I forgot your anti-weather game. No, Renner is anti-weather game. Renner oh, no, you love weather, weather That's right, okay. Generally, I quite like weather, but I don't like rain. Now, this might be a throwback to playing in the rain when it's just, it just sucks because you can't catch the damn ball. So there might be like a personal vendetta against the rain, but I don't like it. And it does ruin offense. Like, it's not that 
you know, it makes things more difficult and you get good defense, which sometimes happens with other weather. It's just that, like, it's just harder to catch. The ball is slipperier and what should be routine plays end up dropped and suddenly drives die for no other reason than the ball is slippy. And that just sucks. That was a certainly a factor in the game. Brady's uh, stats did Des- not look Despite, by the way, both coaches allegedly claiming at halftime that it wasn't a factor. Like, liars. No, there was a fumble early, too. I mean, look, fumbles happen without the rain, too, right. but the Patriots fumbled. That's a factor. I'm just saying, factor. there are going to be people that are like, oh, both coaches said it wasn't a factor. Like, yeah, both coaches were lying out of their ass. This was a ridiculous factor in the game. Uh, Brady had five passes dropped, three of which were beyond the sticks, one of which was he, he hits, hits Antonio Brown's... A game-winning dime. Yeah. Right. It would have been the game... That would have been the highlight that was shown forever. When that- Brady goes back to Foxborough, there's some ups and downs, and... Belichick, you know, gave him his best shot and held Brady down for most of the game. And then Brady hits the dime to, to seal the deal, right? Third and eight, puts it right on, on Antonio Brown's hands and he can't haul it in. Brady kind of missed out on like the, the highlight that would have sealed it. He still, you know, leads the game winning drive. They kick a field goal to win it. But that would have been the, uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's the, that's the play that this game deserved to finish on, right? Like Brady... Uh, struggles largely throughout the game um, in terms of offensive production. Um, the Patriots actually do a really good job of limiting him. They do a pretty good job of the other side of the ball themselves, getting Mac Jones going and surviving the Tampa Bay blitz. And then Brady has the time to go march down the field on his own and put up the winning points and throws essentially a touchdown dime to Antonio Brown, having just thrown a second one where Brown, for some reason, lost the ball while it was in the air. If they had connected on that, and it would have been not a walk-off touchdown because it was still time, but that would have been the perfect ending to this game. Instead, you know, it they got to do it the hard way, kick points, and then let the Patriots try and answer, which they almost do. Um, and that was a weird decision for the Patriots to go for. So they end up with a 56-yard attempt. What was it, fourth and four? I think it was fourth and three. Fourth and three. Yeah. Um, f- like, with like a minute left almost, right? Yeah. Even if you make it, you're giving Tom Brady a minute to answer when he only needs a field goal. Now, rain, rain is a factor. So it started raining too. Remember, yes. rain was off and on throughout the game. I think it stopped for a big chunk of the fourth quarter, but it came back for Mac Jones' right. game-winning drive attempt. So rain was a factor. Right. So a minute, a minute and to work needing a field goal when it's raining is different from a minute to work needing a field goal when it's perfect conditions but but the rain is also a factor with your kicker right and uh and you know boss chris kept reminding us that nick folk had a lane uh plant leg issue and the whole thing I mean, he almost got it there i mean it, it doinked you know it was close <laughs> um but yeah i mean you're putting the game on the line with one play on fourth down versus the field goal while also leaving just a little bit of time. Um, it is one of those games where even like when Brady broke the all-time passing record, it was anticlimactic. It was good. Like, oh, I that's think always that's, a farce. I know. I mean, it's just the passing yards record and it just got broken a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you know, if we keep playing 17 games, Sam, all the records are going to fall. Not for a while, but they'll fall. You know, when Mahomes gets it in 15 years or whatever it is, but that was anticlimactic too. We had Al Michaels on air, like he sounded pissed. Was it sixty-seven? <laughs> was it sixty? How many? Yards? He needed sixty-eight yards. He's like, oh, they moved it forward. No, wait, it's not the record. Oh, it is the record. And I don't know. Yeah, it was funny because I think the Patriots wanted to like stop the game. Like right. they were trying to create as many 
distractions as possible. They play a Brady hype video before the game. Like, they were trying to tap into his emotions before the game, weren't they? Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad, though, that it got broken that way because – and they stopped the game for, like, the yardage marker. It's always a bit ridiculous, uh, particularly when it's like – I don't know. It's just – it's obvious it's happening. Everyone knows it's a thing. And then, oh, let's halt the game because of this six-yard completion. And let, it's just – Good. He got it. He's now the record holder. Let's move on. Um, but I thought the Patriots' defense did a really good job against Brady and that that Tampa Bay offense. Now, obviously, the weather was a factor, and there was a lot of plays left on the table because of things that weren't the Patriots' defense. But, like, they were making the point all the way through the broadcast that they were just showing him different things every play, which is yeah. – pretty much what you have to do like you can't it's it's like the you know the end years of Peyton Manning was the same right it, there's nothing you can show him that he hasn't already seen and knows about so the best you can do is just show him something different every play and like even if it's even if he knows each and every one of them there is some something to be gained from just making him go through slight, the process slight hesitation right? of figuring it out every play right if you drop back and you're showing him the same thing every single play there's no thinking time. There's no processing involved. He just carves you up. But if you at least make him diagnose every single coverage every single time, there's got to be something to be gained in that. This was the first game the Bucks tried to run the ball. And, and Leonard Fournette ran well. I mean, this was – it was playoff atmosphere Lenny, Sam. You know, playoff Lenny. It was playoff atmosphere. Playoff atmosphere he Lenny. Ran, he ran hard. He ran the ball well. The, the Bucks actually committed to it. That was their – a big chunk of their offense in the second half. Um, and he ran, you know, 20 carries for 91 yards. It was pretty efficient. Um, when you say efficient run game, there's always those one or two yard carries that kind of get you off schedule. But he ran the ball pretty well, actually caught the ball pretty well. Um, one of his better games that we've seen as a Buck. Uh, and you're right, the pass game was just kind of off kilter. You know, the Bucks didn't move the ball. Uh, Brady missed a bunch of throws early. And then they didn't move the ball unless he was, you know, hitting a big time throw down the field slot fade to Chris Godwin, one of his best throws, was negated to Antonio Brown due to a hands-to-the-face penalty. And as I said, his you know the best throw of the night was dropped in the end zone. So it was this Belichick and the, and the Patriots just made life difficult for the Bucs offense. And then on the other side, we've seen this in New England history before when they run up against a really good run defense, they just don't even try. And they finish with eight carries for negative one yard yeah. against the Bucs. Uh, Nelson Aguilar was lead, leading rusher. One carry for four yards. Uh, Brady was Brady did have six yards before he uh, took the QB sneak. He was out. He was. The, he would have been the leading rusher on the. Or he would have outgained any of the the runners on the Patriots at one point. So Mac Jones has to drop back forty times, forty four times, thirty one for forty for two seventy five. The underneath game again. I think what's lacking with the Patriots though between the twenties has been great. They have struggled in the red zone. And it's Mac too. Like, he is very good. He deserves a lot of credit standing in there against the Blitz. He was excellent underneath. But there was just – they hit a wall in the red zone. And that includes Mac and his decision-making. Yeah. Um, his, his grade is not going to be great. And it's almost all down to the fact that he threw the ball right to a linebacker in the red zone. In, in the fourth quarter would have ended the game. Right. Essentially ended the game. Yeah, it would have been – Come close. Just a, a complete death knell of a, a penalty, like a nail in the coffin for the team in that game and undo all of the good that he'd done beforehand. But they put a lot on his plate in terms of 
saying it's on you, right? There's no run game. They're going to blitz the crap out of you. You've got to hold up and show that you can do it. And it doesn't mean pushing the ball downfield necessarily. It just involves making sure you're not getting sacked every play. And he did a pretty good job. Like, I, Mac Jones has been the most impressive rookie quarterback this year. Now, over the first three weeks, that hasn't been a tremendously high bar to clear. Um, but it got higher yesterday, like, or this week. All of, all of the rookie quarterbacks except Davis Mills. All of the first-round rookie quarterbacks raised their stock this week. Like, all of them look significantly better. Trevor Lawrence was making some great throws back on Thursday night. Zach Wilson looked way better. Um, Justin Fields played the Lions. Um, So all these guys looked a lot better this week. And, you know, Mac Jones' grade won't be great, and his stats weren't phenomenal. But given the situation, he played pretty well. Yeah, the thing about Mac is he he just completes passes. For the most part, he just he just keeps moving the ball. And again, it's wh- whether it's under pressure, whether it's uh, against the blitz, it doesn't really matter. The thing with him is two turnover-worthy plays. Again, the one that was really bad back across the grain. And this is uh, this is why we exist here at PFF, Sam, because we can. I was wondering why. Yeah, because we can isolate those plays, right? I mean, think about the stories today. If one of two plays goes the other way. No matter what we saw, overall Mac Jones was impressive. But if he throws, if if Levante David catches the interception, or if Antonio Brown catches the touchdown, the whole narrative for oh Brady, you know, sticks a fork in him at the end and blah blah blah. Or Mac Jones, the moment's just too big for him. Threw the ball back across his body. He was great the whole game, but he just rookie mistake really cost him. Like nobody remembers the rookie mistake right here. Right. But it's still, it's still charted. It's still graded. Um, either way, it was a. A tough, hard-fought game. Uh, Bucks win 19-17. to And from a standings standpoint, Bucks kind of needed this to keep pace yeah. in the NFC because, you know, they're going to be in the mix for the number one seed. Patriots fall to one and three. I mean, they, this is – it continues to be uncharted territory. The other wacky, crazy stat, uh, Belichick now has more losses as a head coach without Tom Brady than he has with, and that includes the playoffs. And it's uh, it is when you add up the Browns and it's okay. Patriots time. I was going to ask, with the not Patriots just as a or, Patriot. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Um, Brady also becomes whatever it is the fourth player to beat all thirty-two franchises. Is it four, three, whatever it is? Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, him. Oh yeah, four and him and Breeze. Do you know who? Um, there, do you know the, the no no quarterbacks lost to all thirty-two teams? I saw this stat out on Twitter last night. Mm-hmm. You know who's close? Uh, no. Derek Carr. Really? Derek Carr's got like four more teams to go, including the Raiders. Okay. To lose to all 32 teams. Just saying, it's a... My favorite random stat... It's a record stat, to strive for. Yeah, my favorite random stat from all these records is, you know, Brady recently became the most sacked quarterback of all time, passing Brett Favre, who holds all of these records. Um, but what's amazing is that Ben Roethlisberger is like two sacks behind him. Yeah. Won like 70 fewer games. You know, Roethlisberger is just a sack machine. Also, Peyton Manning is like the least sack quarterback of just the Mannings. Like he has way fewer career sacks than Eli or Archie, despite playing, I think, significantly longer than either of them. That dude, despite, you know, essentially being top one, two, three in all the cumulative stats, is nowhere on the sack list. Like he is, he's not top 20 in terms of the most sacked quarterbacks of all time. That dude never took a sack, regardless of how good the offensive line was. On, uh, Local local radio in Boston today, Bill Belichick. Uh, take us inside the in, the decision to kick the 56-yard field goal. <laughs> Did he just answer no? Belichick, quote, 
thinking we were going to make it within a couple inches. Nick's a really consistent kicker. He's been hitting the ball well. He hit that one well. Uh-huh. Just missed by a couple inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So there you go. Well, um, what is this game? Who does it say more about to you, the Bucks or the Patriots? I think, I think it says, man. I think there's something to take away from both. I think New England, as a team, this is this is in line with some of their other games. Close, you know, they 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 lose to Miami in a close one in Week One. They lose to the Saints in Week Three. They're close. They're missing something. And look, I saw somebody make a joke on Twitter where it's like Mac Jones. This is like the fourth game this year. They leave the game. The announcers are raving about him. He missed three throws the whole game, and they scored 17 points, or they scored 10 points, or they scored 16 points. They, there's, there's, they have to be better in the red area. They have to actually put points on the board as much as you rave about Mac Jones, but I think it shows that they're close. If they were a little bit more efficient offensively, I think New England's a, they're a dangerous team that can keep it, keep it tight. So it says a lot about what, they can, what they're capable of, I think, defensively. With the Bucs, every corner has started to get hurt. Richard Sherman, when he signed, said, oh, I'm going to set a we. I'm going to... They said it. it. They were like, oh, a lot of people would need to get hurt for Sherman to play. And they all did. In this game. Not only did he play, he started, and by the end of it was like their only healthy corner. So even though they only gave up 17 points, Jamel Dean missed the game. Sean Murphy Bunting has been out. Richard Sherman was forced to start. And I think Chris highlighted it well, too. He's playing a lot of off coverage, didn't always have the underneath help, underneath help when he was in one-on-one coverage. He was getting beaten. So Richard Sherman's just – he's a part of this defense now. Yeah. Then Carlton Davis gets hurt during the game. So the thing we said On in like the preseason about – What's that? On like a punt. Yeah. Wasn't and, even like playing defense. And he had a hamstring injury coming in, and this was a quad, yep. I believe. It looked bad. So, yeah, the Bucks are beat up in the secondary. So I think it says a lot about what they um, – how fragile they are maybe in the secondary again even though they gave up 17 points in this one um but the offense too i think there were points last year where the offense was too driven by big time throws there wasn't enough of the underneath stuff and i think you saw some of that again in this game where it was too uh boomer bust offensively for the bucks in the i thought game. sherman played pretty well when you consider he came basically out of the podcast studio to yeah. and the peloton bike to play in a game on Sunday Night Football in like a week's notice. Um, yeah, using okay. perspective, yes. Using the perspective of, okay, go play corner for the right. Super Bowl champs that have aspirations of not losing another game. Sure. Then it's uh, it's going to be, you know, but it's when challenging. You, when you consider, I mean, when he signed, we were saying that like, this is probably a signing for January, not for now. You know, <laughs> when it looked like he wasn't going to play. Right. Uh, as opposed to, will you be starting week one? Um with that in mind, I think this isn't I, – I, he looked like a guy that could actually help you in January. Like, if you get to January, once everybody's got healthy and then somebody gets hurt again, and all of a sudden you've got to go from, you know, one of those starters, you've got to turn to Richard Sherman, having given him a couple of months to get spooled up and ready. Like, that's that's good. Do you think it's – what do you think it says more about – or which team? Um, Your question. For me, it felt like the Patriots kind of gave – the Bucks, their best shot like this is you know this is classic Belichick right you give him a little bit of time you, you have him laser focused on a specific game he's going to come up with this amazing game plan aided by the weather and he will very much shut down that team and give that give the Patriots a chance to win a game that they really shouldn't have won or like shouldn't have been in based off what we knew about both time both teams going in like if you weren't invested 
in the Brady-Belichick storyline. Now, most people were, but there are definitely people out there that just didn't give a crap, They were right? tired of it, yeah. Yeah, and if you're one of those people, this was not a game that was interesting to you going into it. Right. It's like this is a Bucks walkover. Tampa Bay go in, they beat the crap out of the Patriots, and they get a win and leave. Um, but it wasn't like that. It was very close, and for a decent period of time, it looked like the Patriots were going to have enough to snatch it. Uh, that felt like, you know, this was Belichick's best shot, essentially, and they still lost. And it didn't do anything. Like, can he do this again next week? Or is this just who the Patriots are right now? Well, yeah, they play the Texans next week. So I think they'll be okay. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. They gave their best shot to a team that could be the number one seed in the NFC. But there's always something There's always something that feels a little deflating about when you give your best shot and yeah. it comes up short. Like, yeah. And the one, the Patriots probably aren't too used to that. The one other piece of the storyline is it was fair to say last year at this time, the Patriots were a little overmatched personnel-wise. They had a lot of dead cap money. They were transitioning to Cam Newton and all that stuff, right? Then they go out and spent more money than they've ever spent in history this offseason in free agency. And the thing I kept saying all offseason is that's going to come back to pay off this year, not necessarily next year. The cap hits are going to hit. So that would be the... The part that's concerning if you're New England, if you're one and three, all of those free agent investments this offseason, like you you gotta start cashing in with those guys at some point. So um anyway, I thought, you know, the drama was was weird, but it was good overall. We'll get into all the other games, but a reminder the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a week five offer. Every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just one dollar. On any, any, NFL, any, ooh, any NFL game, that's all you need. And you win $100 in free bets. If either team scores a point, this is a no-brainer, Sam. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943. Just need a team to score a point. If Sportsbook isn't available yet in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. It's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I have a feeling most NFL teams will at least score a point. So... Mm. Mm-hmm. DraftKings.com <clears throat> promo code PFF is an absolute no-brainer. All right, let's go through. Uh, any what's you want to take the reins here? No, what no, no. Now I'm done. I just you just wanted to start with uh-huh. Sunday night football. Now you can go back to whatever insane order you had. I'm going by PFF Ultimate. So the Detroit Lions and Chicago Bears. Bears 24, Lions 14. Uh, narrative season. It is narrative season. Before the game, I, I don't know. Did Matt Nagy announce this? I don't know what the Play calling? Yes. No, they had to define this because when Justin Fields was listening for the play, I saw somebody tweeting this. When Justin Fields was listening for the play, like communication from the sideline, Matt Nagy was not speaking into his headset. Ergo, Matt Nagy was not the one relaying plays to him. Did he confirm that? I don't know. Anyway, the um, the Bears looked better. Yes. Justin Fields looked better offensively. Yeah. I think in, in 20 dropbacks, we got to see his arm talent, which is great. You know, that was the thing we didn't get to see last week. Everything was painful. Uh, a five-yard route, it was painful. I mean, it was difficult to complete anything. 
at least in this game, we got to see Justin Fields' arm talent. We saw tight window throws. We saw him throw a couple bombs right on point. We saw Darnell Mooney make some really nice plays and show that explosiveness. That might be one of the plays of the week. Describe it. Uh, Justin Fields targets Darnell Mooney on a deep over route, you know, behind the linebackers. That was was it cover three? It was the classic kind of cover three, deep crosser behind the linebackers ahead of the the deep stuff. Um, Basically overthrows him. Yeah, Fields kind of misses the throw. Yeah. Wide open. Like, so Mooney sprinting full clip. The ball is basically over and ahead of him, and it doesn't seem to matter because he just reaches out, dives one-handed, like snags it. It, It's insane. Like, that honestly is one of the best plays of the week and one of the catches of the season, and it's not going to get the credit for it because it was sort of – it was one of those plays where it was so incredibly good but made to look routine. He says, oh, that was a good catch, and then on we move. But, like, I don't think you appreciate how good a catch that was. Mooney's a really good athlete, and this is what could be exciting about this Bears offense. We know how good Allen Robinson is, but Mooney is fast, but he's also got this – he's just got really good ball skills. Those types of plays, he showed that at Tulane. Um, With Fields, four big-time throws, two bombs that he puts right on his receiver – he has a dig route to Allen Robinson, which was, again, fantastic. There was an underneath linebacker. He puts it right on him, throws it on time. was great. And then the last one is an Allen Robinson deep out. And it is one of those where, again, when you're describing Justin Fields coming out of Ohio State, it's like... Yeah. That, that's his play. He's got every, every level of velocity that you need on the ball. He can layer it. He could, but this is like a see it, throw it. It is perfectly in between the corner and the safety. It's about 25 yards downfield. I just I was glad we at least got to see Justin Fields' arm talent, man. It was it was on display. Now he did try to fumble it late, and, and look, there's always going to be some ups and downs. But this was you mentioned all the first round rookies at least elevated their stock. <coughs> Fields' stock was as low as it could have been, but this was it was a good it was a good game, even if it was against the Lions' defense. Yeah, it's a it's a very weird game for narratives, right? Because. You come out of last week, and it was an absolute disaster. Fields was bad. <clears throat> the offense was bad. The offensive line was bad. The receivers were bad. The game plan was bad. And so like, what do you blame? And obviously, you can't blame everything because that's not the way the world works. You have to pick a thing. You have to pick a scapegoat. And most people's, most people's allotted chosen scapegoat was Matt Nagy. So, well, this is Matt Nagy's fault. The game plan is the worst I've ever seen. This is This is negligent or this is uh like people were actively accusing him of throwing the game effectively last week to make justin fields look bad so that he could step back and be like see i told you he wasn't ready like that is absurd if you are genuinely making that case you have stayed too long at the fair and you're just out of your mind people don't do that at this level so last week was not a product of matt Nagy sabotaging justin fields it was a product of the fact that their entire offense was horrendously overmatched. Now, does that mean Nagy did everything right and couldn't have made anything better of the situation? Of course not. But most of the things people were throwing at him were ridiculous. So this week, I was really interested to see, well, what does the game plan look like against the Lions, having sort of spent a week analyzing the train wreck that was last week? Um, They did run a lot more extra protection stuff. They kept running backs and tight ends in to chip block primarily, um, but also just be part of the the protection package a lot more. I don't know that they needed to against Detroit, but that, that was an adjustment that they made. But the routes were still very much the same. The play designs hadn't changed all that much. There was still a lot of like Justin Fields needing to wait 
for stuff to uncover deeper down the field, which again was fine against Detroit, particularly when you have extra protection. But next up is like the Raiders, and that might not fly again. Um, and that, but the other thing, like they didn't move the pocket a ton more. Like that was That's one of the things. That's what everybody said. You gotta roll them out. It's the right. only way to use Justin Fields. Didn't do that anymore really this week than a week ago. Um, they didn't run a ton of bootlegs and all that kind of stuff. And interestingly, we saw late the, the the play you mentioned where he fumbled it and got managed to get back on top of it after the ball like skidded around the place. That was an example of why you don't necessarily want to move the pocket because they did. They faked, you know, outside zone action in one direction. They, they then sort of had Fields pull back and have essentially a, a pocket that had been rolled to the right. And when you do that, you have to have someone sort of come across the formation and pick up the backside defensive end. Otherwise, that dude is unblocked. So they did that, but that guy is a tight end and the defensive end just immediately spins inside of him. And now he's bearing down on Justin Fields' blindside like a second and a half into the play, drills him, fumble, that could have been the game, right? But that is, that's a cautionary tale. That's why you don't necessarily just want to move the pocket. It isn't like, it's not a cure-all to all of your problems. It comes with risk as well. But this show, this was like the Justin Fields that we've been expecting to see, right? There are yeah. some problems in there. There were some bad things, but he also showed two or three absolute dimes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, showed that there is potential for him to do really good things if the platform is there in terms of offensive line and protection, which it was against Detroit. The question now is, can that hold against like a bunch of better defenses that are coming down the line again? Yeah, I mentioned in the preview show, the Lions, I mean, they are, they already didn't have the best cornerback room or, or secondary. They had some potential maybe coming into the season, but you know, Bobby Price, who I mentioned on the show, 2020 undrafted free agent, he got attacked. I mean, this was, look, it's not a great Lions team. so. The, you know, Fields, it's an encouraging next step for Fields. The Bears Bears fans should be excited about the throws that he showed that he was capable of making. They did spend most, you know, they tried to run the ball quite a bit. David Montgomery had 23 carries, and you know, they finished with 39 for 188 as a team, uh, all told. So uh, the game flow was a lot was a lot cleaner for the Bears, too. And, you know, you only had Fields dropping back 20, 21 times as well. Um, on the other side, Jared Goff, the most consistent quarterback. What, is the, what does post-Sean McVay Jared Goff look like? The same. Well, it looks like a, a quarterback. Here is passing grades. 65, 68, 65, 66 in his four games with the Lions. Jared Goff is now the most consistently average quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. So uh, that is the start of the Jared Goff post-Sean McVay era. Uh, look, the Lions are just, they're just overmatched, man. You don't have – I don't think you have – look, they've got some young receivers. Khalif Raymond ends up in the end zone a couple times and Amonra St. Brown and Quintez Cephas. You've got these guys who are intriguing and are probably a part of the rebuild, but those are receivers 2, 3, and 4 or 3, 4, and 5 on a, on a good team. This play also – or this game also featured the most insane play I can remember seeing in a long time. Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. The Bears – I like the way you worded it. I, well, I, yeah, I tweeted that the Bears intercepted a snap, right? Which technically isn't true because it's a fumble, right? Yeah. But effect, essentially, Jared Goff wasn't ready for the ball. It was snapped. It ricocheted off his knee and, like, bounced forward into the arms of a defensive tackle in, like, a second. Um, I've never seen that before. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it could probably only happen to the Lions. But it happened. 
Yes, yeah. that was that was fun. Amazing. Anyway, Bears win. Um, the we- the other weird part, their de- the secondary got picked apart a little bit. They're like week to week. The Bears. They've got some good games, some bad games. I think ultimately their secondary is going to be an issue. Yeah, they're not. For them. They're not the team they used to be. Like this isn't. You remember, effectively, they wasted a real contending window with Mitch Trubisky as their quarterback. And they finally got a new quarterback, Justin Fields, and they just don't have the same team around him that they used to. Like, whatever you think about Matt Nagy at this point, there was a window where this team could have contended if they had a significantly better quarterback than Trubisky. Um, They didn't. They tread water during that time. But a little bit like the Kirk Cousins situation in Minnesota – the roster just eroded around him. And now, right. whether or not he was capable of elevating the team that they had, they're not, the team isn't there anymore. Like, they've, they've lost too much talent. All right, let's go to the uh, Jets and Titans. But before we do, our friends over at Manscaped, they're back. And they remind us that it's football season, baby. You know what that means? What does it mean, Steve? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show. It's Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier. And it's time that you join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using the promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all those other trimmers. You know that? Okay. Three and out the window. Now go tame that wildcat offense (laughs) with Manscaped. Look, Uh it's just the best in the business. I've had the 2.0, the 3.0, the 4.0, 4.0. It's the best around. It's brand new. It's here to take... At least twice as good as the 2.0. It's at least twice as good. Look, you're not going to get your nicks and, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt. It's just what, it's what Manscaped does. Here to take your defense to the next level, fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic braid to reduce grooming accident, accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. That's right. That's trademarked by Manscaped. That's why they're the best in the business. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, Sam. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and it gives you the ability to turn on, turn the 5,000, 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. So the light's a pretty good addition there. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? So, you know, you could use it in the rain. <laughs> rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. You could have used it at the Patriots game last night. I mean, look, it's fall weather, the rain starts. So the, the first thing you think of is, you know, whipping out the trimmer and shaving your nuts. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's what I think of when it, when fall weather starts. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. <laughs> Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out of the playoffs this year with Manscaped. Uh-huh. I yeah. took a deep breath for that one. That's a good one. All I know is this is uh, our listeners probably need this. I think everybody needs this uh, in their lives. We're heavy males. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people listening. They're like, "Hey, I'm going to jump on that manscaped bag bandwagon with the other two million men." We're heavy ma- what? Like heavy uh, demographic? Oh, okay. Heavy demographic. I thought you were referring to um, you know the, the the added weight we're carrying. During- I'm losing weight. Oh yeah. I need to with these chairs, by the way. Yeah, they're not. It's What's not the a flattering posture. It's a, I'm at least 80 oh, pounds. Oh, that's over true. I hadn't even thought minimum. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, like, you just exist in this whole different world to, like, regular humans. 
you know, like there's a lot of changes going on here at PFF, and nobody was like, "Hey, I wonder what uh, nearly 300 pound Steve would would do in these chairs for two hours doing a podcast." But like the other day, you know, with the Josh Allen jersey thing. Oh, by the way, uh, email us uh, NFL Podcast at pff.com. Give us charity ideas. We're looking for an animal, uh, some kind of animal charity we can donate to this time, and uh, the actual forfeit the thing that we can do to raise money for the charity um we've had some ideas some of them are pretty good i think the winner is still you posterizing me on a dunk or at least attempting to um if you do better than that we'll probably announce it sometime this week maybe wednesday is the show for that but email us give us ideas because we need to spool up the next one but when you were getting the josh allen jersey you were like you know do i get 2XL or three, I was like I am unfamiliar in the world of X when it comes to clothing like I max out at an L I, I don't have to venture into the world of X's so I have no idea how many X's you need on a thing and then you know like Scout has a has a, my daughter has um, like a soccer thing every week and it's just out in a field right so everybody brings those little camping chairs and stuff yeah so you know you just go and grab a camping chair like I, it never even occurs to me that there's like a weight limit on these things that some people need to pay attention yeah, to. Mine's a little. My camping chair is a little more heavy duty. <laughs> get a bigger one. I'm just like, a give wider, me a camping chair. Things. A camping chair is a camping chair. It'll hold my weight. I don't weigh that much. You have to be like going through the fine print. I'm like, how yeah. many pounds can this thing deal with? No, I can't have that one. I got to get the uh, the reinforced special. Oh yeah, I've broken some chairs in my day. <laughs> Not gonna lie. And like, and you. Like okay, you're a large human, but like there's people, there's people way beyond you. I mean, what what do you reckon our friend of the show Jeff Schwartz is clocking in at nowadays? That's a good point. There's some like right? legitimate yeah. whatever reinforcement you need to get done. Think of what he has to do. All right, let's get to the Titans Jets here. Jets get their first win. It's in overtime, 27 to 24. Um, we'll start on the Jets side here. Zach Wilson again, you know, rookie quarterback makes do. I mean, he was so much better in this game than other games. Uh, throws an interception. That's uh, pretty much Corey Davis's fault. Mm. But maybe the throw of the week goes to Corey Davis. 54 yards, whatever it was, 53 yards. Yeah, but did you notice that it was run. like all Zach being like, Corey, go over there. That's where I want you. Run in that direction. It was awesome. Um, yeah, it's funny. That that interception looked horrendous. Like yeah. just on TV broadcast, it's like, what are you doing? And then you see the film, and it's like Corey Davis trying to cut off his wrong foot and just flattens himself. And, okay, Fulton looked like he was always in pretty good position for that and was going to cut him off anyway, or at least be in position to contest. Yeah. But Corey Davis just made a absolute balls of that. Um, so Zach Wilson finishes 21 of 34 for 297. It included that 54-yard touchdown, so two touchdowns, and the one interception was not on Zach Wilson. He did have three other turnover-worthy plays. It's not like he played a pristine game. But I think the exciting part for Jets fans is the arm talent component, man. I mean, there are there are those plays where he's, he's got, like, the little shoulder fake, and he, he just the ball explodes out of his hand. He's got the, the touchdown on the run. Four big-time throws for Zach Wilson that showed off what he is capable of. And that was kind of the Jets' offense, right? It wasn't... It wasn't really this efficient offense. It was it was big play driven, flip the field driven. That's what Zach Wilson brought to the table in this game, um, and they hung tough, man. And then you know pull it off in overtime. Yeah, um, this this week, every rookie quarterback looked more like the way we thought they would. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's not that any of them were phenomenal necessarily. Like, none of them are going to be 
the best graded quarterback of the week or right up there with those 90 grades. They each maintained sort of some bad plays, some rookie flaws, but this looked far more like we were expecting. Like there was some great arm talent on display by pretty much all of them. Um, some incredible big plays. They it characteristically looked a lot more like the college and preseason version of themselves with those mistakes in there as well. So like if Zach Wilson had looked like this for the first few weeks, we would be we'd be loving it. We'd be absolutely fine. We'd be saying this is good. He'll work out the the rookie errors, but the arm talent is insane. Like he's made some incredible throws, and all is good in New York. But it's taken them like a month to get him to this point. Um, but you have to like you have to be encouraged by this game based off those first three where it looked pretty ugly. For sure, and I, I also think Robert Sala defensively they've done some nice nice things. They were getting after Ryan Tannehill, and it is I think when you're judging a first year coach like Sala. I think just look. So here are the guys who really performed well from a pass rushing standpoint for the from the jet for the from the Jets last year yesterday. John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, really nice offseason free agent pickup. Bryce Huff, who they've developed uh, into a pretty you know reasonable player. My boy Folo Fadakasi had a good game, and then Quinn and Williams, guy that everybody knows. But that's not this like fearsome group of defensive linemen that you're afraid of every given week. But they were getting after Ryan Tannehill. Uh, what they sacked him. Sacked him seven times total, getting pressure on him. So I think when you're judging a Salah in year one, I like seeing that. I like seeing this. They, they lose Carl. Not I don't like seeing Carl Lawson getting hurt, but they had to stitch it together from a pass rush standpoint, and you're seeing elements of that where the, the names aren't great, but they're competitive and staying in games, and that's, and that's how you win some of these. So I'm impressed by what the Jets did defensively. All that said... Tennessee Titans had no A.J. Brown, had no Julio Jones. Their offense was essentially, you know, like early in the game, they had a third and 19 conversion on a screen to Jeremy McNichols. I mean, it was the Jeremy McNichols screen offense. Um, and then, you know, 33 handoffs to Derrick Henry because that's what he does. Yeah, well, that's what he does and that's what they do and they don't have any receivers to throw to. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, Tannehill still dropped back like 58 times or whatever it was. Yeah, and part of that was because they were actually losing for a period of this game and actually needed to pass the ball. This was an example of, we said that, like somebody tweeted us before the, the games or sometime over the weekend, like we had been saying if one of A.J. Brown or Julio Jones goes down, they might have some problems. And they were without both of them heading into this game. And when you look at the receivers that they have beyond those guys, it's just not good. There's nobody in that group that you think are, are going to win one-on-one matchups consistently and replace <clears throat> what they get from, from those players. And you see that from the numbers. Like, a bunch of different guys had a decent number of targets. Chester Rogers with six, Josh Reynolds with nine targets, but they produced six catches and 59 yards. Like, it just wasn't the same thing. And then a ton of, like, uh, targets to Jeremy McNichols out of the backfield. Um, Derrick Henry running the ball as well as he does, like 33 carries for 157 yards, 80 of which came after contact. Now, okay, this went to overtime as well, so you're going to see bigger numbers across the board. But I think it banked up the idea that without those two guys, this is not anything close to being the same offense. I'm, look, I'm looking at Tannehill's best throws right now too. It is... It's a fascinating season for him. He entered the game with the highest number of big-time throws that fell incomplete. All of his best throws had one in the end zone where a receiver kind of dives instead of just running through it, has another bomb, and it just, you know, 
three really nice throws that weren't complete. I mean, Tannehill throwing the ball as much as I've expected some level of regression back to Miami days from Tannehill. There really isn't one at this point. There isn't one, right? I mean, he is throwing the ball well. Now, statistical regression is there, again, because you don't have the A.J. Brown factor. You don't have Julio Jones healthy or last year Corey Davis. You don't have the play-action attack that was so deadly for the the Titans. So the, the efficiency was incredible for the Titans, but Tannehill throwing the ball is great. Um, he's he is kind of reverting back to taking too many sacks. So as as much as you give credit to the Jets' defense for getting after him, that is one of those places where Tannehill was really lacking in Miami was just too many negative plays when it comes to taking too many sacks. But um, and then there's there's enough concerns with the Titans defensively, right? I mean, as you know, Christian Fulton had the nice interception, but uh, him and Jack Rabbit gave gave up some yards, gave us gave up some catches in this game, and their pass rush has been just extremely inconsistent week to week it's been good when um it's good when it's going after Carson Wentz and the Colts so far the Titans yeah the Jets made a lot of people happy before the or over the weekend where they said that Denzel Mims would be active in this game you know the such were injuries that Denzel Mims would actually play uh regardless of the fact that he doesn't play special teams and can't back up every receiver spot I got a whole five receiving snaps he did play not a single target so that was worth the time and effort everybody put into it. I mean, honestly, the trio of Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, and Jamison Crowder is not bad. Yeah. It's not a bad Keelan Cole made some big plays. Yeah. Keelan Cole's a sneaky good receiver in the NFL. They, anyway, congrats to the Jets. Yeah. They win a game. Zach Wilson, uh, really impressive performance for the rookie. Let's go uh, Cleveland Browns 14, Minnesota Vikings 7. Man, I thought, you know, first was the first drive Vikings go down and score? Cousins six for six, their first drive at least. Right, and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the line is the the like Vikings score seven in the first, the Browns win the second quarter eleven to nothing, and then there's no other points until the Browns kick a field goal in the fourth quarter, fourteen to seven, in this one. Why couldn't either team score? Uh I'm not sure because there were a lot of good plays in there. Like there was some. I mean, on the Browns' side, Baker Mayfield didn't play well at all. Um, that was part of it. Like, they left a bunch of plays. We'll talk about table. him in a minute. I mean, he he did miss a ton <coughs> of throws in this game. Including, like, a couple of touchdowns, you know? So right. so that's part of it. Like, the Browns scored 14. They could have easily had 28 just from two more pl- plays if Baker Mayfield had connected on throws that really should have been hit. Um, at which point, immediately, it's a different conversation. Like, you're not asking why did both teams fail to score you're asking what happened in Minnesota. Um, from their point of view, I think they were – it was a little bit of a mix of everything. Like they – bad timing when they didn't make plays. Their offensive uh, line was definitely overwhelmed at times. I mean, we saw what Miles Garrett and the Browns were able to do to the Bears a week ago. They didn't have quite the same level of joy against this Vikings offensive line. But they certainly got after them. I mean, Rashad Hill at left tackle against Miles Garrett is just a – a monstrous mismatch. Um, Christian Darrisaw, I think, was active in this game, but still isn't playing yet. The quicker that happens, the better in terms of Minnesota's future. But that was a big part of it. Yeah, on on the Baker side of things, uh, him and OBJ, what was it, seven targets, two catches. One was a screen. One was a dig route. Everything else is just off. Again, with Baker and OBJ. What is happening? We, I mentioned one route last week where it was like, ah, OBJ throws a little extra wiggle in there and yeah. throws off the timing. Everything else seemed fine. 
But in this game, Odell Beckham, the last one that we discussed, right? OBJ runs a great route. This should have been a touchdown. Baker throws a line drive at his feet. There's a there's a uh, a go ball early where Odell Beckham, I think, and this happened with Antonio Brown and Brady in the game too. Part of your connection with receivers, like the receivers looking for the ball at the at the time that you're expecting. Oh, Antonio Brown lost a ball in flight. It feels like OBJ is just looking for the ball at different times from Baker. I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm saying you have a lot of those where Baker's throwing a back shoulder or he's throwing it closer to the sideline rather than in you know five yards in, in, in bounds. Whatever it might be, they were just off again like it was 2019, their connection. Yeah, <clears throat> they're definitely – It's I don't understand why they're so rarely on the same page, but this was a lot more Baker than it was Beckham. In this, in this game, game, for sure, for sure. Like that last one – where it was like an out and up and Odell's completely torched his defender and Baker just misses him by like not even close you know sometimes you see these and it's like just a bit the wrong direction and it's a uh, it can't connect because of that like he fires it at him and misses by like five yards laterally like a mile away from this throw and that was a touchdown that you left on the table because of that miss um, and then earlier, you know, drops when it hits Cameron Dancer in the back after Odell had torched him. Like, as I say, there's, there's 14 points to Odell Beckham on two plays, effectively, that Baker just missed. And he was missing all game long. Like, this was this was a bad performance for Baker Mayfield relative to what we expect from him. It's going to be one of the worst grades of the week. Um, <clears throat> his completion rate was bad. His adjusted completion rate wasn't an awful lot better. There were a few drops in, or a couple of drops in there, but this was this was the game where if you were one of those Baker Mayfield haters, like you're loving life. This is exactly what you think he plays like every week, and he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the people talking about this Baker and Cousins. Are they are they both at the you know are they both at the Matt Ryan inflection point? Are they both below it? This was not a good game for either quarterback, right? I want to highlight, so Cousins throws a fourth-quarter interception. i got to highlight this. It's one of my favorite plays in football. J.R. Alexander made this play on Sunday Night Football last week against the 49ers, and I forgot to mention it. So this is Greedy Williams. He's playing the deep third in cover three. So you've got the vertical, any vertical route that comes into your area. When he sees that there's no vertical route in his area, he immediately tries to, you know, essentially rob the post from the other side of the field. So he ends up... As, you know, replacing the free safety he goes out and makes it makes just a beautiful play to pick off Kirk Cousins uh, to thwart the uh, the comeback attempt in the fourth quarter. I just I love that play when corners because corners we always think about them in man coverage, right? It's like oh you just all you do is cover your man, right? This is when you have to turn into a free safety, go up and get the ball, and it was just a really nice play. Cousins didn't see him. Uh, this was Cousins' worst game as far as him throwing the ball, but. Um, yeah, again, only seven points after that really good first drive. Right. Going back to the pass protection, though, the Vikings offense coughed up 29 total pressures. Uh, Rashad Hill gave up 10. Uh, Ole Udo, who'd been playing pretty well, actually, this season. There's a lot of red here, Sam. Yeah, gave up eight total pressures. So those two guys alone on the offensive line gave up 18 pressures, um, which is obviously a lot. So that was a big part of Minnesota not scoring, is putting Kirk Cousins under pressure, which – We've said before, he's one of those quarterbacks that is problematic when you can get him moving and cause him some issues. Should we be looking at the Browns' pass rush a little bit more then? I mean, that that was 
all of the narrative coming out of the Bears. Remember, remember who they, the Bears played when Justin Fields made his debut last week? It was the Browns. Yeah. The whole narrative was centered around Justin Fields. This is the second straight week. It's been absolute dominance up front from the Bear, from the Browns' defensive front. And again, if you go back and look at how they how they put it all together, you know, adding Jadavian Clowney for you know a lot cheaper than he was than he was going for in recent years, adding Malik Jackson, those guys had a had a big factor in this game. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa also involved again, you know, just in and around the line of scrimmage as a blitzer. Uh, Tack McKinley was in there. Malik McDowell. I mean, they've built. Oh, they've got retreads. They've got. Garrett, who is the man, he's unstoppable, but they stitched it, stitched it together nicely on that defensive line, and they are they got after it these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, that defensive line is imposing. I mean, it was, it was way too good for the Chicago Bears offensive line. It was obviously too good for the Minnesota offensive line, um, whose weakness, though, right now is pass protection. Like, these are two teams you would expect that defensive line to cause some major problems for. I think it's a really good unit, but it's a little bit like the Raiders in that I'm not sure we know yet just how good it is. Like, yeah. we just we don't have a good enough barometer of what it, lo- what it looks like against a decent group. Look, they're, they're the number 15 pass rush coming in to the game. They were okay against the Chiefs, just okay against the Texans, and then really good against the Bears and now against the, the Vikings. We'll see, but I think... My narrative for the Browns' defense coming into the season is it might take some time. With all these new pieces, defensive line, secondary, the whole back seven, a lot of turnover besides you know Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison, really, uh, might take some time. And now they've given up 13 points over the last two weeks to the Bears and the Vikings. So uh, they'll be challenged next week uh, against the Chargers. they got the Cardinals in a couple weeks, but like the way the Browns are trending defensively. By the way, this even – the movement of coaches being more aggressive on fourth down, et cetera, et cetera. Even Mike Zimmer is going for it on like fourth and six. Um, okay, Miles Garrett wrecked the play on him, so maybe he'll never go for it again. But we're just reaching that point now where it's the accepted thing to go for it on these fourth down situations. Yeah, I mean, I think even the coaches who feel things like in their gut, <laughs> I think their gut is starting to tell them. It's tough to stop teams. I mean, this game's not a great example. It's generally right. tough to stop teams, so I don't want them to have the ball. And generally, it's easier to convert things, so I do want the ball. So I think even the the gut is starting to say, "Man, it's a pass centric league." Well, the gut only makes yeah. The gut only league. tells you not to go for it because most people haven't been going for it, right? When the when the tide changes, and the conventional thing is for most people to go for, it, regardless of why that's happening the things that you felt in your gut are going to change because it was all based off nothing in the first place. All right, let's go to the Dallas Cowboys, Carolina Panthers. It was 35, uh, 36 to 28. The Cowboys moved to 3-1. and one. The Panthers fall to 3-1. and one. Panthers tacked on, what, a late touchdown here to get a little yeah, bit closer. It wasn't as close as 36 scores, to 28. Sorry. It was 36-14 into the fourth quarter. Right. Panthers score with nine minutes left and then with 4.36 left to bring it a little bit closer. I mean, it was still you know, within a score at the end. But, man, we're seeing Dallas's defense generally play better. And then the big story here from the Panthers' perspective, they were 3-0, hadn't really played anybody. Yeah. And they couldn't stop the Cowboys defensively. This was, yeah, this was their first test against a real team, essentially. Like, easy mode's been turned off. Now you got to face a Dallas offense that's actually really good. How does it look? Does the defense still hold up? And I thought, like, initially, it was doing a good job. They were still getting after them. They were still causing them some problems. Their 
clearly a really smart team in terms of how they play on defense and some of the things they're dialing up um, and timing, like when they choose to send pressure, when they choose to drop guy. Like Brian Burns drops an average of like three times a game, but they dial up when it happens in a really smart way. Like this time he drops off and gets his hand, like gets a pass breakup because of it. Um, but they reached a point in the game where Dallas suddenly realized that you know what we can just move these guys like the, at the line of scrimmage we have an advantage and we can just saddle up and start bulldozing a path so Zeke Elliott has 20 carries for 143 yards Tony Pollard has 10 for 67 Zeke Elliott since they've started eating into his workload with Pollard in a, in a meaningful way as opposed to just you know Pollard's going to get a couple of carries here and there and dramatically outplay me but it doesn't matter because I'm still getting the, the bulk of it over the last couple of weeks, they've actually really eaten into his his workload a little bit with Pollard. And it seems that since that point, he's been visibly more impressive. Like, he just looks like he's running better. Starting on Monday Night Football, yeah. I don't know if that's because he's being spelled more. I don't know if it's because suddenly he realizes that actually, you know what, my workload, my job, my the feed Zeke thing is at risk because Pollard's playing really well, or if it's just coincidence. But whatever it is, like getting Zeke back at this level, plus Tony Pollard spelling him, plus Dak Prescott in the passing game, like this offense is different. So they were able to just just wreck Carolina up front, and like that was all she wrote. Like they couldn't stop them. Yeah, Zeke is running so much better. Five yards after contact in yesterday's game, actually forcing missed tackles. Remember, he was never really a make you miss type of guy. He was a good one cut runner. You you know find the hole and. Be efficient. I mean, he's never been... I don't think Zeke's a bad player. He's just saddled with that contract where you feel like you have to feed him. Now, it's another... It's the third straight game where Dallas has, Dallas has run the ball much better than they had, not only in week one against Tampa Bay, but all every Dak game last year when it was all Dak, throw for 400 yards. So this further feeds the narrative that Dallas needs the running attack. They run for 245, Sam. 7.2 yards per carry. And Dak only has 22 pass attempts, four of which go to the end zone, of course, four touchdowns. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're running the ball at 7.2 yards per clip, including yeah. Dak's four for 35, yeah, that's a good efficient rushing attack. Yes. Anytime you're averaging seven plus yards a run, you're fine. Don't worry about efficiency at that point. Just keep on running. I don't mind. Again, I don't think you need to strive for balance, but I think it's okay to have – I mean, certainly it's okay. You do want to have some games where you need the running game. I mean, there are games where you'll need the running game, and having it be good and efficient is a good thing for the team. So Dallas is definitely playing so much better. Um, from a run game perspective, Dak is, continues to throw, to throw the ball well. I don't, think his, I don't think he played as well as the stat line will show. He's had a couple of those games this year. But, man, drops a uh, dime into Amari Cooper for a touchdown – over cj henderson the uh over cj henderson new addition the you know you lose um jc horn who'd allowed like 10 yards so far this yeah. season cj henderson comes in has to try and get up to speed in like a week and suddenly oh yeah you got to defend amari cooper in the end zone cedric wilson continues to ball out you yeah. know in place of michael gallup uh, cd lamb didn't do much on his five targets but then you get dalton schultz too just becoming a, a part of the offense so they've got weapons they've got a rushing attack and then defensively... And an offensive line that's wrecking people. Yes. that's So, Dallas, look, I, say, I, I made the statement on the show, live on the preview show. Are we coming out of this talking about Dallas, NFC contender, Super Bowl contender, and the whole thing? Are we? 
They've got the pieces. Right? Yeah. Like, they've why, got the pieces in place, right? Yeah, why wouldn't they be? I mean, people were, were starting to talk about Carolina in those terms, and this was their first test, and it, the, the takeaway is actually, you know what, Dallas is way better than Carolina right now. Yeah, they, the, the, so defensively for Dallas, Trevon Diggs becoming a star before our eyes. Just his ball skills this year. I know interceptions are fickle and they tend to fluctuate in the whole thing, but uh, he is making some ridiculous plays on the ball. Two more picks in this one as uh, Sam Darnold comes back down to earth just a little bit as well. Yeah, this was the worst game that Sam Darnold has played as uh, a Carolina Panther. Puts, this is the grade that he typically had with the Jets. Weirdly, like he's <laughs> him and Daniel Jones have turned into these like rushing threats out of nothing. And not just like that they're a threat to take off and punish you if you're not paying attention, but like they're actually dialing up designed runs all the time for both these guys. Like option plays where Darnold is taking the ball, faking the pitch, and then just like cutting up into a gap that emerges because nobody's expecting him to carry the ball. Um, that is the difference in today's NFL, right? Like you don't. I'm trying. The only quarterback. I'm going to do this off. Going to do this off the top of my head. The only quarterback that's come into the league the last five or six years who doesn't necessarily have that ability is what Jameis. I feel like every other quarterback. And even Josh Rosen. Even Jameis, if you actually embraced that, like he clearly is not a particularly mobile quarterback. But if like if you just said. We're going to run a couple of option plays where, like, you succeed because nobody is paying attention. Like, nobody – literally – It's probably Goff, too. It's the – yeah, it's an element of surprise thing. And even Goff, like, Goff gashed the Packers on a read on a zone read play yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Like, I think we've reached the point where – you remember the idea that you never wanted to have any kind of, like, rushing option threat of a quarterback because uh, what happens if he gets hurt running the ball? You can't risk that. Like, we can't – risk the investment to our quarterback by exposing him to these pointless hits i think teams have just said you know what forget that like they're danger getting hit every single play like okay we don't want them to get hit but any play one of our offensive linemen could get whooped or he can blow the protection or the running back can get beat he's getting hit this is part of football let's just actually embrace it and say we are going to let this guy run the ball and we'll, you know, again, we'll teach him to protect himself, slide, dive, don't take the hit you don't have to take. But if the gap is there, scoot through it. Like you're a professional athlete, let's take advantage of this. Let's not just sacrifice a man in the blocking scheme because you're the quarterback. So all of these teams are employing their quarterback as part of the run game. It's not all, you know, Baltimore and Lamar Jackson or... Uh, Philly and uh, Jalen Hurts, but they're all like using these quarterbacks that are even the guys that you think of as not good athletes are freaks. Like Mac Jones got mocked mercilessly for being a pathetic athlete. The dude runs like a four seven forty. Like yeah. he's not an insignificant level athlete on his own. Read. I mean, all you have to, if you're just reading one guy and it's like, hey, go run for ten yards before someone who's not even looking at you right. catches up to you. you Which is the Jared that Goff play. Or, yeah, that's the Goff play. Right. That once or twice a game. But even these ones, it's like, okay, it's not quite as simple as that, but if if there's a gap that opens up, yeah, chuck yourself into it for five yards, and that's your touchdown. The uh, the two interceptions, one of them uh, by Diggs. Again, I don't know if this is a trend in the NFL, but he's, he was, he's covering the slot, zone coverage. Darnold misreads it. He's a little under pressure, but we see Jalen Ramsey playing in the slot. We see a lot of top corners moving around and I don't know Dallas is really tapping into what Diggs is able to do he is 
he has just been all over the place as far as uh, creating turnovers and making plays. So, um, other than, now, all that said, he also got beat a bunch mm-hmm. as well. I mean, this was Diggs. This was his season last year. He showed flashes. You saw the big plays, um, but he's also given it up as well. He was targeted eight times, gave up a bunch of first downs. So, um, but Dallas is creating turnovers defensively. They're just they're a lot better, I think, um, than they were last year. I think they've clearly emerged as the best team in the NFC East, um, which was a question a few weeks ago, right? Who who's going to win the East? Maybe it will be a two-horse race between Dallas and Washington. Maybe Philly, after that week one, gets himself into the conversation. Can the Giants run? No, it's, this is like Dallas's division now, unless anybody else changes the way their season looks like it's going. Or Dallas changes. Like, they start collapsing. Like, they should be the best team in the NFC East. And then the question at that point is, where do they place themselves amongst the best in the NFC? Just to wrap this up, too, you mentioned the offensive line for the Cowboys. I don't know. Are, is it, are these games in premium stats yet? A Whenever they are, let's see. A few of them are. Is you, Dallas not in this yet? one, no. This game is not in yet. When this gets in, you have premium stats, 2.0. All a part of your PFF Elite package. Go check out the Cowboys' run block grades. Domination from Zach Martin and Tyron Smith and Connor McGovern getting in there and his 10 snaps. A fullback. Connor Williams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, the, the run-blocking grades across the board for the Cowboys, that is what has sparked this rushing attack, right? And you've got Zeke and Pollard running hard. So Dallas, just looking a lot more balanced as a team. Not run-pass balance, but ability to do it all. All right, let's touch on this Buffalo win quickly. <laughs> Buffalo 40, Texans 0. 40 is Davis Mills is who you thought he was. I uh, knew. I knew I gave him too much credit last week. A Nathan Peterman-like 11 for 21 for 87 yards and four picks. And a fumble. Like, the ball just fell out of his hand because it was raining. It was. The four, pick, like, the four picks doesn't even do it justice because there's a fumble in there as well. It was worse than anything else. I gave him an inch, and he took a mile and a half and burned it to the ground. Um, yeah, this was, this was bad. <laughs> it was bad, Steve. Top to bottom. It's another one of those like Buffalo's defense is starting to do ridiculously special things. Like they hadn't come, they had not given up a pass of twenty plus yards. The only team in the league that hasn't done that yet. Then they come off this one, and it's one of the worst. You know, one of the best defensive performances, one of the worst quarterbacking performances you've seen. Buffalo's pass defense ridiculous so far this year. Statistically, we'll see if they can keep it up. You know, as the as the schedule gets more difficult, but you know they face Big Ben, they face Jacoby Brissett. They faced Davis Mills and uh, who's the other one other team they've played. But anyway, Buffalo continue. You know, they took care of business. This is what really good teams do. This game got so out of hand that Mitchell Trubisky got on and got himself a rushing touchdown. I, the more the Matt Nagy narrative goes. Stop it. I'm just saying. <clears throat> some team's going to look at what Trubisky looked Stop. like in the preseason where he looked Stop pretty it. good. Stop it and now. Overrated. Do you have anything else to add to this? Um, Josh Allen had a pick. Still, play, he played a pretty good game. Did put the ball in harm's way a couple times. Tough passing conditions with the torrential rain. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those games where I don't think you can take a ton out of it in terms of how Josh Allen played. Actually, just generally, you know, I mean, forty he tried to nothing. To throw the ball right through a line. He got away with. <laughs> I know the grade's not going to be great again, even though the stats are because he keeps trying to throw the ball through linebackers. Yeah, which I mean, in fairness, if anyone's going to be able to throw a ball through a linebacker, it's Josh Allen. I mean, this one's so bad. This was in the end zone. Yeah. Um, right Buffalo Buffalo was really impressive, though. I mean, this was the 
kind of game where, yeah, you're expected to win, but they really just went out there and just put the put the boot on the throat of Houston and kept on squeezing until it was done. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, 14 carries apiece, very efficient from a run game standpoint. So just, I say take care of business a lot, but that's all Buffalo had to do. That's what they did. Took care of business. Mm-hmm. That's all I got on this game, Sam. When are we getting Tyra Taylor back? Because like that's he's got to miss at least one more game. Right, it's the IR, so he's got at least three weeks done. Tyrod makes them feisty. (laughs) Yeah, I mean they were not a bad team with Tyrod at quarterback. He was playing legitimately well, but with Davis Mills, it's just not. I mean, it's it's done. All right, let's go to uh, what's next on my list here. Oh yeah, Giants and Saints. What a weird game, man. Giants 27, Saints 21. Giants get their first win. A uh, couple things at play here. Daniel Jones continues to play really good football. Just yes. throwing that out there. Playing. Really good and critically above that 80 threshold where you owe me lunch. What was the bet? That if Daniel Jones finishes a season with a PFF grade in the 80s, you owe me lunch. You're off to a good start. I am. He's used there. used to be the uh, quarter poll, they used to call it, right after four games. Now it's, it's not. Okay. You know, once we get... Once the first quarter ends mm-hmm. in week five, we'll hit the quarter pole of the season. After week five. Okay. Well, after in, the no, first, no. first quarter of week five. The first be, quarter. That's of week when the five. first quarter that's of when you want to take the, the season ends. Okay. It, you know, again, the, the negative with the 17 game schedule is you can't split the season into nice fourths anymore. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the big problem. Um, well, for the purposes of this conversation, I'm just going to go ahead and assume he plays the first quarter next week the same as he's played the rest of the season so far right now he's got a pff grade of 86.9 yeah not only is that above 80 that gives me some wiggle room he can have a bad game in here and i'm and i'm still laughing jones is looking good it I, I said it was a weird game because it felt like the saints were in control for a lot of it and you know the two two giants touchdowns it's a bomb to john ross yes freshly activated do you want to uh in a bomb to saquon barkley do you want to take some form of victory lap over john ross you who's like i would sign him every offseason just for this play i would this you sign john ross because he he won this game for you he <laughs> he is a legitimate deep threat once every 10 routes yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. uh he ran a nice comeback route too as i take this victory lap i am picturing next week he's going to stop on a route daniel jones is going to throw an interception and we're going to put it in as 4RMC. You know, dig route. People don't know what that is. Miscommun- I'm, I'm going to explain okay. it. Four route, dig route, miscommunication. We're going to chalk it up to the receiver. He's probably going to fumble. He's probably going to drop a pass. But for now, John Ross, legitimate deep threat. I'll sign him every year because flipping the field and picking up 50-yard touchdowns is extremely valuable. And John Ross has that. Yeah. I think it was uh, Derek Klassen and Mike Golick Jr. on Twitter yesterday that were talking about how John Ross is essentially transitioning into Ted Ginn's career, right? Hmm. It's like top pick, incredible speed, get him to the NFL. And it's like, huh, he doesn't really do that much well. But then for the rest of his life, it is like a, a viable deep threat that will score a bunch of touchdowns, probably drop some passes, make a few mistakes, but becomes that kind of like budget Deshaun Jackson who's just a valuable part of your offense for a decade or like not your offense for a decade several different offenses for a decade like whenever yeah. you get a team it's like we have a pretty good receiving core but nobody here can run faster than four six yeah we bring in John Ross that's what's going to happen I, I feel um 
It, the funny I'll thing is, that, I'll be that GM in a couple of years. There's absolutely no way in hell that the touchdown he scored was actually like it wasn't want, scored until he fell on it in the end zone after he lost it. I don't want to hear your details. I'm just they. He caught the ball. The defender forced it out before the goal line, pretty clearly. And then he was the only person that seemed to care and jumped on it again. And I'm almost 100% sure that the officials at some point when they were going to look at it realized that, you know what, rather than trying to find an angle where we see down the goal line and figure out when this ball came out, he fell on it anyway. So it's a touchdown. Like he definitely caught it. So all we're doing is deciding whether or not it came out, whether or not it's a touchdown because he crossed the goal line with the ball in his hands or whether it's a touchdown because he fell on his own fumble. So who cares? That's what I think happened. Yeah, I don't. I, it's a touchdown for John Ross, hmm. even though it may not have been legit. That's fine. Anyway, Daniel well, Jones yeah. is playing, playing good football. The other touchdown was Saquon Barkley running straight up the sideline Against. right past Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. Why does Lattimore – why is it Lattimore just locks up Mike Evans and these other big receivers and then he just has these lulls against well, – there, there's a running back running past me. And there was, like, one. no trickery involved in this play, right? It's like the, um, the announcers were like, oh, the wheel route. From, there was no wheel. He just ran by him. Like, he so just didn't care about this play that they were trying to invent reasons that the cornerback would not be there, like would have just stopped running and watched – the running back run clean past him down the sideline. They're like, oh, it must have been a wheel, or there must have been like a you know a pump fake or whatever. What? No, they just Saquon just runs past Marshawn Lattimore, who doesn't move with him, just carries like sits, and and suddenly realizes after about five yards that uh oh, he's uh, he's gone, and I'm not getting back to him. Touchdown. When they got into overtime, um, Saquon also Saquon fumbles in overtime, but the Giants recover, and then he looked. Really quick on that touchdown, man. That was a good touchdown run. Ben tells me that the Ross play was ruled a fumble touchdown, so they didn't give him the— So it uh, was. So did Jones get—Jones has a passing touchdown for that. Shouldn't he not have one? Don't ask questions that I don't have the answer to. So that should not be a touchdown for Daniel Jones then? Look, I'm just relaying what Ben told me, and Ben might be lying, so— Ben certainly could be wrong. Ben also sleeps like three hours a night on, you know, Sunday nights. Yeah, so. but they're earlier because he's on uh, British time. So he's, he's, he's fine now. Yeah, but he still only sleeps like he's still – he's probably tired is yeah. my point. British hours. It's fine. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, again, the Giants – I mean, Daniel Jones ends up with 402 passing yards. Kenny Galladay, you know, he makes some big plays too. He doesn't look that fast, but he's just – Well, he isn't that fast. I know. He just doesn't feel explosive, but he's making big plays. This is, this is why you add play – this is the playmaker game, right? Galladay gets six for 116. Kadarius Toney. That's why you draft him it's in the first It's about freaking time. time they started give, giving that guy the ball some more. He had 78 yards. John Ross takes the top off the defense. That's why you had John Ross. Saquon has 74 yards you know, through the air because of the 54-yard touchdown, as we said. Evan Ingram catches some passes. Kyle Rudolph. This was good, man, as far as you know, using those guys in the pass game. And then on the other side, it's another Jameis only drops back a handful of times. Bunch of big-time throws. One's negated. Uh, bomb for a touchdown. But he was dropping some in there. Jameis has another really good game, but it's a run-heavy attack, and they just ultimately didn't put enough points on the board. And it was also hurt by Jameis throws a negated touchdown, and then the next play, Taysom Hill comes in and chucks a well, chucks an interception. <laughs> but we can't completely trash Taysom because he became Marshawn Lynch for two touchdowns. What was this game? Taysom Hill's grade alone is madness in this in this game. <laughs> it's 
It's overall, he ended up with, what, like an 82? But it, it comes about because of a, a, a like a 90-plus run grade, um, a, a blocking grade that's not great. Like, it was just all over the place. But Taysom Hill went full-on Marshawn Lynch beast mode twice. Just ran the hell over every member of the New York Giants defense on his way to the end zone. And it felt like they were using him as like a red zone quarterback. Like almost what we talked about, the two-quarterback system that I kept predicting in the preseason. It hasn't quite happened for any team, but there's a couple that are like flirting with it or skirting the edges of a genuine two-quarterback system. This felt like they were like, you know what, Jameis has got a pretty good high, a pretty good chance of just like heaving the ball at people. So we'll put Taysom in there. And Taysom heaves the ball mm. at people. Um, yeah, James That's Bradbury, the downside to that plan. I think James Bradbury beaten on a big post, uh, on a deep post, and Taysom throws it behind him for the interception. But the two runs were just ridiculous. It looked like the plays were over, and Taysom just comes out the other side, and he's in the end zone. So a lot of good things from the Saints offensively, but the it was defense, you're going to look at the Saints defense and say, okay, defensively, can't give up those big plays. And that's, and that's a coverage unit, you know, coming out of week one that was just outstanding against the Packers, didn't allow anything there. Paulson Adebo, Adebo you know, he finally really falls off, falls off a cliff in this one. He got torched. Lattimore, we had mentioned, uh, not a good day for the Saints secondary. Yeah, to be fair to Paulson Adebo, it's just not a, it's just not a speed matchup. He's winning, like, one-on-one with John Ross deep down the field. Like, you can't, I mean... You don't have the speed to deal with that. Thank you for um, admitting John Ross is just a mismatched weapon. Well, John Ross runs a four-two-four, and Paulson Adebo doesn't, so that's going to be an issue. Um, the sneaky part of the Giants, they their offensive line has been okay. Yeah, they that was a huge weakness for them. But Andrew Thomas, all of a sudden, one pressure in this game, uh, one pressure the week before, two. He hasn't given up more than two in a game this season. Like he has taken pretty significant strides forward after what was a rough rookie season and remember the preseason wasn't great either it was like uh-oh yeah like Andrew <laughs> Thomas hasn't taken right. a step but yeah looking good so far in the regular season he's been good and the rest of that offensive line hasn't been bad either like Billy Price shockingly was the only member of that offensive line yesterday whose pass blocking grade was pretty rough the rest of them are holding up okay and with those weapons that the Giants have on offense that's like Daniel Jones my concern for him is that this year he was going to take a step forward but it might not be obvious because the offensive line was so bad and the scheme is not amazing. And we're going to come out of this being like, ah, eh, what, what is Daniel Jones really bringing to the table? Yeah. But if the offensive line is playing like it is and those receivers are as good as they look, that is a platform on which Daniel Jones can actually get some, get some stuff done. All right, let's go to the Chiefs-Eagles game. Chiefs 42, Eagles 30. Uh, Chiefs kept trying to pull away, and they did. Uh, but the Eagles battled, battled back. They, they hung tough. Uh, Patrick Mahomes finishes with five touchdowns and a pick. Uh, two little shovel pass touchdowns. Underarm. Under we're like, we're, we're getting to the behind-the-back one. I mean, you think behind-the-back's coming? coming? So do you remember there was a training camp video? Mahomes is going to break the all-time touchdown. He's got five shovel pass touchdowns in the NFL for the last two years. Yeah. There was a training camp video where he was, like, practicing various shovel passes. You know, there was the regular one. There was the underarm thing. There's a behind-the-back one. It's coming. It's going to happen. And sadly, it's not even the first time it's happened because somebody found a Sonny Jorgensen play. Jorgensen? Jorgensen? Is a hard or soft J? I would say Jorgensen. Okay. Sonny. 
gave a, gave a behind the back pass out of like a sack. He's like in the grasp and flings a, pa- a pass behind his back to a receiver. That might have been the single best comp I've ever heard in the history of humanity on hindsight. Zach Robinson. No, he said Sammy Ba. Oh, was it Sammy Ba? Well, yeah. Maybe it was Sammy. It was probably Sammy that made might have been Sammy that made the uh, maybe the, maybe the, blend the, of the bank pass. Sammy and Sonny J. Maybe could be. Anyway, whoever it is has done it before, so Mahomes won't even be the first, but it will be like, this is the first time this has ever happened when he does it. Uh, Chiefs offense in general, not really stoppable in this one. I mean, they, they ran for over six per carry. Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, Edwards ran for 102 on 14 carries with a, with a long of 17. I mean, he was just – they were very efficient as far as the run game goes. Uh, Mahomes – remains a very good scrambler picks up a couple first downs on you know key third downs when he's got a scramble and that was just a Tyree kill takes over game yes I mean deep ball getting behind the defense little little curl that he turns into a dig where he just outruns the rest of the defense almost takes it in the end zone I mean Tyreek was unstoppable in this one Tyreek Hill does to NFL athletes what like good athletes do to regular human beings it's insane there was a pass where he got to the pylon didn't quite turned it into a touchdown they took it away from him right but it was like a dig route and he catches the ball and he's like if you freeze frame it it's Tyreek Hill with the ball moving to his right and he's on the other side of the field yeah but he's in the middle of a triangle of defenders like when you freeze it he's in this little triangle and there's a safety to his left there's a guy trying to catch him from behind and there's a dude sort of to the right uh further towards the line of scrimmage but they have him like penned in and if you freeze frame it, not only do you know they're not tackling him, but you know it's not even going to be close. He's going to catch this ball. He's going to run all the way around the free safety and just get his way towards the end zone. Like the only way anybody has a shot of stopping him is to take the angle straight to the pylon, forget trying to stop him where he is. Like the number of athletes that are able to run around the long way around a fast player it's just it's tiny it's almost nobody does that and like that's what happens if you're just a guy in a rec league and you come up against a real athlete and like oh no this is like a different level of thing uh Tyreek Hill does that to NFL players it's ridiculous yeah the quickness and speed I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it I mean then then you have the Eagles in the tight red zone trying to He's, he's the inside receiver, and they're trying to cover him with a linebacker. It was an easy touchdown. I mean, there's just... I mean, that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just so tough to account. As much as we say that the Chiefs are top-heavy with uh, with Tyreek and Kelsey, it's still really tough to completely account for them on every single play. And here's where the Chiefs are really good. The times that you don't completely account for them, right? When as, Again, as soon as Tyreek has one-on-one coverage and the safety's not really in the picture, Mahomes throwing the deep ball to him. And it's not all that... It's not often... But when it's there, they're, they're taking it. And that was this game where Tyreek completely took over. Um, other side of the ball, I'm pretty impressed with Jalen Hurts again. Look, he left, he, you know, he had some bad plays in there as well. He missed some throws. But um, I, I think it's funny, two of his best throws of the year are just straight go balls where his receiver ran out of bounds. But he put the ball in a really good spot. And we're, we're going to give him credit for such plays. Devontae did it yesterday, kind of forced out by the corner. But Jalen Hurts battling. As a, as a passer, I don't, the Eagles don't want to have him drop back 57 times per game, but in this game where you have to just keep coming back and keep fighting against the Chiefs, I thought he did a pretty nice job. Yeah, he did. I mean, this is probably what you would expect Jalen Hurts to be in terms of, you know, he's making some mistakes that I guess are, 
I doubt very much whether you're going to get those out of his game, just the way he plays, but he's making a lot of positive plays so far as well. Like, this is not a bad team. And when you consider how much they've been hurt in terms of injuries, like, one of the things that I think made Philadelphia look kind of impressive early in the uh, early in the season, like the first week, essentially, uh, was, hey, this this offensive line is good again. And their defensive line is really good. They're suddenly like dominant in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And that lets Jalen Hurts just do what he does and not have to worry too much about the pressure. But all of a sudden, they're losing, they, or they've lost like multiple players up front. Brandon Brooks goes down, Jordan Mylata goes down, um, Andre Dillard comes in, who, you know, first round pedigree, but hasn't really worked out, which is why he's a backup to uh, Mylata in the first place. Um, and they just, like they're not as good when they have to go to those backups. So if Philadelphia had a healthy offensive line, if they had their starting five out there all season, I'd actually be quite optimistic about how good this team can be. But without those things, it just gets harder for Jalen Hurts to carry the load by himself. Yeah, I think you're continuing to just get more information on him, though, too. I mean, I think you can... I'm more optimistic about Jalen Hurts' future so far this season. I'll say that. Yeah, but the problem they're going to have is that Philadelphia is, is a, has a really good chance of ending up with like one of the worst records in the NFL, which in addition to the extra pick they're getting for Carson Wentz and the extra pick they already have, like they're going to be in position. It's going to be very hard to turn down a quarterback where they're picking. It's going to be draft. really tough to, to look at the quarterbacks in the draft and say, mm, I think these guys are better than Jalen Hurts. I don't know Maybe. if they I don't know if the Spencer Rattlers and Sam Howells and Malik Willis's. I mean, Malik Willis will be intriguing uh, as he jumped to the top of the PFF right. uh, quarterback rankings as far as the draft goes. Um, the real issue with the Eagles, they still look like they're rebuilding. That Again, you're playing the Chiefs, but the defense got smoked. They got smoked against the Cowboys on Monday Night Football as well. Uh, so just something to, you know, they look like they've been – they were supposed to be in rebuilding mode, and their defense kind of looks like it right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, Chiefs offensive line is really interesting. So obviously they overhauled the whole group in the offseason. Um, they appear to have hit on uh, Creed Humphrey, who looks good. They also 92.5 grade yesterday. Yeah. Mostly they, through the run game. They also appear to have hit on Trey Smith, the six-rounder that they got who had fell in the draft because of um, like a medical condition. What was it? Some Like a heart heart condition that had him like, taking medi medication in perpetuity right like it's like a a long-term thing he has to stay medicated and it was almost like teams just bailed on the idea of having to deal with that like we don't know what this means and I think the I think part of the issue is he can't practice all the time like he has to there's some sort of pitch count essentially he has to always be on so I think a bunch of teams just went all right we don't want any part of this we're not even going to get into it but the one that did, Kansas City, grabbed him in the sixth round. He's one of their best offensive linemen right out of the gate. Yeah, he's been fantastic. Um, again, premium stats 2.0. Go check out the run blocking grades. Really nice job by Kansas City there. Orlando Brown struggling as a pass blocker so far. Both tackles, not great in this game. Um, Mahomes was really good as well. Maybe not five touchdowns good, underhands. But um, I liked the, the bomb to Tyreek. I mean, it's, it's the end of the game. Eagles are taking some chances. Tyreek is isolated on a safety. This is the thing. I said it's tough to have a plan for Tyreek every single snap, and the Eagles just look like they had zero plan yeah. on a lot of snaps. That is an issue. Oh, yeah, go ahead. We'll just put a safety on him. That's why Mahomes reached back, threw a bomb. 
Uh, look, when Tyreek's uncoverable, you take advantage of it. So he finished with 11 for 186 and three scores. Story of the game right there. Yeah. I mean, this was a game where the offense, the scheme was doing well and Tyreek Hill. Like, at that point, you're, you know, you're in good shape. All right, Colts 27, Dolphins 17. Colts hmm. get their first win, man. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about. Unexciting game. It was. Your it boy was. Jacoby Brissett. Yes. Not great. Five turnover-worthy plays in this one. Sure, sure. <laughs> Including a rough fumble in the pocket. <laughs> Or outside the pocket. doesn't matter where he was. It was a rough, rough fumble. There are plays where you wonder just what on earth is going through Jacoby Brissett's brain where he's, you know, like... It was like three seconds ago where you initially got pressure and started to move, and it's not like you're Michael Vick. What did you think was going to happen on this play? Uh, it's not even like... I, I, I use the term Christian Ponder syndrome a lot where it's essentially describing a situation where college quarterbacks uh, come into the NFL and never managed to work out that they're no longer a better athlete than the defensive linemen that are chasing them down. Right. You know, because in college, they typically are. Baker Mayfield has a lot of this, right? Where in, in college, Baker Mayfield is a better athlete than most of the defenders trying to chase him down. What his little high-step move yeah. yesterday. But in the NFL, Baker. he isn't, right? So there was a play yesterday where Baker Mayfield tried to, like, juke Janelle Hunter in the open field. Like, we'll throw him a step, and then I'll cut inside him, and I'll make the two yards I need for the first down and I'll look like a superhero. And Danelle Hunter just like hog ties him, immediately puts him to the ground. You're like, no, that's not happening at this level. I am a super freak. You're just a dude who used to be athletic. Um, but that, so Brissett doesn't quite have that in that like, he doesn't seem to be blissfully unaware of the fact that he's no longer a better athlete than all these guys. He just doesn't seem to care. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to escape the, the grasp of the defender, and then I'm just going to like wander around back here for a while and invite yet more pressure and eventually like die under this hail of bullets from all the defenders closing in on me. It's just it's bizarre to watch. But this is, this is why I'm a lifelong Jacoby Brissett fan. Yeah. The glorious death involved in his plays. You must have uh, loved this. I mean, he had five turnover-worthy plays. None of, them st- none of them showed up on the interception stat sheet. A couple fumbles, though. Um, include the one I told you, scrambling out and just uh, just trying to throw it. He th- hit hit linebackers or safeties in the hands three other times that all fell incomplete. Look, so he Brissette, throws a very uncatchable interception. He does. Um, so his passer rating ended up pretty good. Um, Colts should throw to Mo Cox a little bit more. Yeah, like a lot more. A couple touchdowns for him. I mean, when, <laughs> look, I, I, I keep talking about the – it was a good win for the Colts, about playmakers emerging for them. Michael Pittman's done some nice things this year. Zach Pascal, Mo, Mo Ali Cox could be a guy that uh, helps bridge that gap if they could target him a little bit more. People, by the way, were like tweeting me as if like they were proved right by the fact that Jacoby Brissett. I said that there wasn't an awful lot of difference functionally between Brissett and Tua at this point in their careers. You know, the Dolphins might not have downgraded losing Tua for a while and going to Brissett. Now, this was a bad Jacoby Brissett game. As you say, there were a bunch of turnover-worthy plays in there. There's also a bunch of plays where God knows what you're doing back there for five minutes while you know there's pressure coming. On the other hand, it still wasn't that much worse than anything we've seen from Tua. Like, Brissett right now, for this season, has a grade of, you know, the, he's... Low 60s? Yeah. Which is... It's my guess. Pretty much know. where... It's pretty much where you expect um, Tua to be. 
So I maintain that there's not an awful lot of difference between them. This was just a bad Brissett game. Uh, no, he's actually Brissett's at 72 yeah, right go. now, 69.9 passing grade. Remember, he, he graded pretty well against Las Vegas, right? Despite the uh, the dink and dunk uh, stat line. This was a weird one because the stat line was actually pretty good and wasn't really deserved for Brissett. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Dolphins small margin of error uh, with their offense and just their offensive line they couldn't get much going from a run game perspective the Colts they didn't pass block very well either but um, Jonathan Taylor really nice game there 16 over uh, 16 carries over 100 yards had a really nice touchdown early in the game so yeah Colts get back on track and Colts still can't just catch a break and get their offensive line like just the five guys we want starting give us the five guys healthy for a given game please yeah it doesn't look the way it was supposed to. Yeah, but yet they are, we're four games into this and they have yet to have that starting five line together. Now, okay, that's just something you have to deal with. There's a bunch of other teams that have, are in that situation as well, but evidently for the Colts, it is a problem when they don't have those starting five. Dolphins' offensive line is still a problem. Well, Austin yeah, that's, Jackson, for, <laughs> that's a problem for a different reason. Austin Jackson and Liam, uh, Liam Eikenberg starts at right tackle, both great in the 40s. Uh, only offensive lineman to grade over 60 is Robert Hunt at right guard. Yeah. So it's all just, it's all a problem for the Dolphins. They've got the Bucks next week oh, on the road. So um, it's not trending in the right direction. Well, at least Dolphins. it's not a long road trip. It's not. It's true. It's not a long road trip for the Dolphins. All right, what do we have next here? Here we go. Washington 34, Falcons 30. The Falcons... Still can't close games out, man. Despite having the best player in the NFL in Cordero Patterson, who it turns out is amazing. Three touchdowns. I Running back slash wide receiver hybrid. I think it was Steven Ruiz of The Ringer now who tweeted, like, how ridiculous is it that Arthur Smith has managed to unlock the secret of using Cordero Patterson to the best of his abilities but can't figure out how to use Kyle Pitts in, in the best way possible? Patterson, actually, when you don't need him to be a number one wide receiver, is just a genuinely amazing playmaker. Yeah. He now, because he's played wide receiver, has that Ty Montgomery thing of being good enough at a wide receiver when you treat him as a running back to just torch you. Like, he went one-on-one -on -one and mossed a cornerback for one of his touchdowns. He's incredible out of the backfield because he was a wide receiver and can make all those kinds of plays. And he's got, like, the kick return skills help with the running game as well. He's just genuinely really, really good. He is. It's, it's a really nice complimentary piece to have. Yeah, my team would have uh, Cordero Patterson and uh, John Ross. The, the, no, the funny thing about like, him as a receiver, though, it's the same thing. Like, if you ask him, if you ask him to, to run a nuanced route tree, yes. there's, the, the nuance isn't there, right? Like, I need you at this just, exact depth and win at the catch point and like all these things. but you did yesterday like it's just inconsistent but it's also why you can still split them out and say just go run a fade because that's idiot proof right you don't need to have nuance to run a fade you can just go like run down the sideline don't get squeezed to the the sideline and moss the corner like there's no there's nothing complex or like precise about that you just need to do the thing that you're good at and beat the dude trying to cover you so he can do that stuff it's just you don't necessarily want him running you know, like a 15-yard speed out or whatever. Like, don't ask him to do the things that are very specific and nuanced to being, like, legitimate running wide receivers. But he becomes this, like, offensive playmaker. And right now, he's by far the best offensive playmaker in this offense. 
Yeah, they're trying to get Kyle Pitts involved a little bit, but it's not completely there yet. Um, uh, by the way, thanks to everybody on YouTube, everybody that's live on YouTube. Be, be sure to hit that hit that thumbs up. Always always good helping us go viral. Our, our Monday review shows have been been big hits okay. on the YouTube. Uh, Matt Ryan finally played a, a decent game. You know, through the moon ball. You love that moon ball to, to Patterson. It like no, he had, it's he had a good to, thing that Patterson has experience as a return man because that ball, that ball was basically so, a punt. Um, the key there is both of these defenses. I mean, defense might not matter according to our analytics folks, but it certainly does when the football team and the Falcons are out there because it's bad. It's just bad. I mean, I, I and it creates good offense. I tweeted during the week that the Washington football team had the fewest missed tackles in the NFL. So this was, remember, their defense been getting gashed the first three weeks. And they like, were tackling well. Yes. I was like, and they have the lowest number of missed tackles. What happens if they start to miss tackles? Like, this thing could get worse. And then, like, Mike Davis runs over about seven Washington players for his score. Uh, it did get worse. Um, the most amazing thing to me in this game is that Taylor Heineke is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He is Ryan Fitzpatrick with a Gillette sponsorship. Like, they are the <laughs> same human being. And he shaves. it went full Fitzpatrick late in this game. Did you like the absolute prayer that he heaved up into the end zone where Terry McLaurin goes and makes the play? McLaurin's fantastic. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like he under pressure, just literally just heaves it up like at a corner or at a safety or whoever it was at a defender. And then McLaurin, like from behind him, basically runs through and saves it, turns it into a touchdown. Um, but it's not like. The thing that makes him Fitzpatrick like is that there's always some good in there as well. Like he threw a really nice dime, like a cover two hole shot, perfect pass, beautiful. Um, and they're nice because he really doesn't have a great arm, much like right. Fitz. So to make those throws, you, it's got to be pristine accuracy and anticipation. And then the final, the final like game winning play, another perfect Fitz of just like madness, where you know escapes, rolls to his left, and then. J.D. McKissick like leaks out to the right-hand side and he throws it all the way back across the formation and you're like, McKissick has one guy to beat. If he beats that one guy, this is a big play. So it's Deion Jones and he just gets around Deion Jones and then it's like a scoot to the end zone. It's just speed to the end zone. It was great. I mean, it was for a game that, you know, probably wasn't as uh, that attractive on the schedule as far as where these teams are and ended up, ended up being an exciting game. I thought I thought Matt Ryan would be a little bit better in this game, and he was against, you know, you're in the dome, you get the football team's defense. Uh, as much as we expected their defense to regress, the football team, though, I mean, it seems like they can still move the ball a little bit with Heineke. Yeah. So they got to be a little bit better defensively. And the Falcons have to find a way to be a little bit better defensively. Uh, those are going to be the questions for those teams coming going forward. I, I like Washington's offense. I think it's still got ability but that defense is just a wreck right now all right what did i just tweet out that we're doing next football team oh yeah seahawks and 49ers okay seahawks do not fall to one and three they're up to two and two now we've got jimmy g getting hurt for the 49ers the door opens <clears throat> we've got trey lance it sounds like uh our our rivals here on good morning football uh ian rapaport we're, we're head to head okay with uh GMFB. who's our insider can we get Doug Kite on here with some some information? We need an insider. Cousin Doug. Their insider, Ian Rappaport. It sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo's calf is going to keep him out a few weeks here. Yeah. Calf was the injury uh, in uh, – I haven't had a minor league baseball story in a while. Yeah, at least a show. They put you on the um, – when you're like the last man on the roster, as I was in AAA with the Mariners, they put you on what you call the phantom DL, right? 
Okay. So it was just a fake deal. So the manager asked me, he's like, you want, what, do you, what do you want your injury to be? Because they didn't want me on the roster. I was like pitcher 13 out of 12. Right. So I had to go on the 10-day. It's not the DL anymore. It's the injured list. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's like, what do you want your injury to be? He's like, we usually use calf. I was like, yeah, give me the, give me the calf. This isn't like highly illegal. This is just. Oh, like, it's illegal. Oh, yeah. okay. It is. Mariners, the 2010 Mariners might get fined now. Oh, perfect. For this. Great. I was on the DL with the calf. Yeah. So I, I can relate to Jimmy G here. I, I, I recovered in 10 days. Yeah. When finally someone else got called up or sent down and I got to pitch again. It's probably an easier recovery if your injury is fake. Well, it was real. It's real. Yeah. Because part of the things too is like, you know, if other teams are going to pick you up, they're going to see the report. They're going to wonder about your calf. <laughs> like, just give me the calf. It's. I'll be okay. Did you have like a, a spiel prepared if somebody did, you know, did pick you up? Yeah, like, I would have. Has the calf injury. I would have sold out the Mariners. Yeah, it's all right. Phantom DL. Yeah. It was fake. It's fine, actually. Perfectly healthy. Right. They had to make something up. So I don't think this is Jimmy G. He's out a couple weeks. Right. Phantom calf. Uh, Trey Lance came in. At one point, he was one for five for 76 yards. <laughs> <and a> touchdown. <laughs> yes. It was the busted coverage to Debo Samuel. But look, the Seahawks played a lot better defensively in this one. Um, the Niners defense looked like. This was, this was weird early, right? The Niners get up 7 to nothing. It's 7 to nothing for a while. And they, there was a point where the Seahawks had like negative 14 passing yards in the second quarter. Um, but then Russ just started to become Russ. What a ridiculous touchdown. Avoiding the sack and scrambling out and making a play. I mean, that was just Russ being Russ. And that was part of the reason why I think I picked Seattle in this game, even though a lot of things pointed to, toward the Niners, that the, the Mariners, uh, Seahawks playmakers would just take over. Yeah. They did. I used to play um, in Seattle just like Russ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty much the same guy. Same guys. We both play um, baseball. We do football. It's relatable. Yeah. They, yeah, that, I mean, that Russell Wilson touchdown was pretty ridiculous. Not only does he, like, spin out of the grass, but immediately, like, reverses and ends up in the, going in the right direction for, like, the only route that had any shot of doing anything. I know. Throws it in. Touchdown. Simple. <laughs> just, they're, I mean, they were saying – you know, in the broadcast, there's like, there's he has no peer when the play breaks down. And you're like, I mean, in a league where Patrick Mahomes exists and, you know, Lamar he Jackson and, and Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he kind of has some peers. On the other hand, Tom Brady outside the pocket. Plays time. like that. I kind of get why you say that in the moment. You know what I mean? He is incredible when things like that happen. And there are very few players that can match him in those kinds of situations. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, he, he was good enough that, that this functioned. But... What do you make of Trey Lance? What are we going to get now? I think you'll get a little bit of what you got yesterday. Um, I mean, some of the throws were off by a mile. And I think his touch needs work. Nine for 18. Okay, yeah. there's, there's a drop in there as well. But, you know, adjusted completion rate was 62.5. Which he is got, not, not he got better. I mean, I, I don't know how much you chalk up to the nerves. I mean, we see veteran quarterbacks do that all the time. Like veteran quarterbacks miss throws. I'm not going to extrapolate a couple really ugly misses early on from Trey Lance and say he can't throw the ball. But when he came out, accuracy was his biggest concern. So I think when you – and all that said, Garoppolo was missing throws like crazy these last few weeks. Yeah. So it might not look that much different. I'm expecting, though – Trey Lance to run the ball 8, 10, 12 times a game, maybe more. I mean, he was 7 for 41 yesterday, all told. Um, he's going to run 8, 10, 12 times in the designed running game. I think the Niners run game, which has been a little up and down this year, back on track. I mean, that is your strength, right? You've got two of the better run-blocking tackles in the NFL with Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey. You've got Kyle Shanahan. You have Trey Lance. He was the best pure runner in the draft, I think. Like, just 
put the ball into your arm and run the ball and find open holes and all that stuff. So that's a part of the offense. That'll create more open throws for him. And he's got an absolute cannon for that intermediate level. Um, and then, you know, just there'll be some misses. There'll be some inconsistency, but I think it'll be a better offense probably. And I am excited just to see all of the stuff that they're going to do with him in the yeah. run game. Like the, we saw a little bit of it yesterday where they threw him out there and it was all runs right away. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's going to be some, some interesting stuff to watch. And, it, and remember the creativity. So in 2019, I wrote a whole article about how Shanahan's offense had evolved, right? And it was like outside zone, outside zone, outside zone. And that year they just started running more power and counter. Now it's all of the it's zone read stuff, right? It's zone game, but it's also the power and counter stuff, right? So you're talking on any given play, they can run wide zone with the quarterback as a keeper. They can run power, which is one backside puller. They can run counter, which is two backside pullers. You can run that either way. So they just have so many more options with the uh, with the run game with Trey Lance under center. And you still have Debo Samuel and George Kittle and whatever they want to get out of Brandon Ayuk when they want to and use check and all that stuff. It's just, it's a lot of difficult guys to cover. And say what you want about Garoppolo. Again, he's been inefficient this year. He's missed far more throws than he should have, but the Niners offense overall has been decent, right? So yeah, that, there's more there. That's the, the, the really intriguing part about all this is with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, even when he's not playing well, this offense moves the ball a lot, and it's efficient in terms of yards per attempt and all those kinds of things. Like, Kyle Shanahan got Nick Mullins with the same yards per attempt figure as Aaron Rodgers. Like, this offense moves the ball regardless of who's a quarterback. So any uptick in talent at the quarterback position surely only helps that. So you go from Nick Mullins to Jimmy Garoppolo, it's a step forward. You go from Jimmy Garoppolo, now all of a sudden you've got Trey Lance in there who brings you this extra dimension in the run game. So like Lance may make a ton of mistakes and may put the ball in harm's way and all these kinds of things, but they should be able to move the ball like a lot because they do with everybody. Yeah, so that's that's my feeling. I'm, I'm intrigued by Trey Lance. I will also say the uh, the Twitter folks, the people that want got to put Trey Lance in there, got to put Trey Lance in there. Like you didn't just call for Justin Fields and see the the worst game you've ever seen offensively. Yeah, so just you know, expectation should be uh, should be reasonable here. No. But I think there's an ex, there's a, there's an explosive element to the 49ers offense now that I think uh, is is just higher. It's just a higher explosive, maybe less consistent, but a more explosive offense potentially. Um, Seahawks again played much better defensively. I thought their underneath coverage far better. You know, the blown coverage on the seventy-six yarder aside, mm. the underneath stuff was a lot better than it was previously. Um, again, Russ kind of salvaged things on a couple plays, but it's not like this offense was humming really. Uh, did some nice things on the ground at times. Alex Collins had a really nice run. I mean, they just show flashes there. The other thing that always stands out is just the metamorphosis of DK Metcalf into like a well you just isolate him on a linebacker and let him run with a little two-way go <laughs> like what is happening to DK Metcalf expanding his skill set which is really impressive given his size and his uh history in uh, three cone testing there's a degree to which it doesn't matter how fast you're actually moving uh like changing directions because he's so huge right yeah so like the thing about a three cone is that if you're just running slowly it's a problem but in the nfl your three cone when you're running a route like if you run a a little whip route or an option 
there's a dude that's now behind you. So the, my point is, even if he's doing it slowly, the sheer size of the man means that you have a large, like there's a long way to go in order for you to get past him to do anything with it, right? So he can just, by essentially just putting his body between you and the football, even if he's not moving quickly, it blocks you out and you can't get anywhere near the, the ball. And if he then accelerates quickly in a straight line, you're toast. So DK Metcalf, look, I mean, I, I liked the role that he had in the previous offense where it's outside vertical threat, run some slants. I mean, the slant is kind of the same thing, right? Just get your body between yeah. you and, and then the defender. Take, like, then the two steps you take where you're accelerating, you're, you gain separation. It's, it is intriguing to me, though, that he can be more of a – he can play the possession game as well, which is like be more of a short area threat right now. And it just expands – uh, Seattle's offense. I still think they're figuring out. I don't know. Would you look at Seattle? By the way, Russ is like his passer ratings through the roof, but they're he's taken so many sacks and had. It, it's not like it's the most efficient Seattle offense we've ever seen. Um, he just hasn't thrown interceptions, so the passer rating's great, and they've created they've created some big plays. Are they going to be like the Bucks last year though, where they just they're kind of trudging through, figuring it out, figure out where the pieces fit, and they could be in the second half of the season. Because you've got Russ at the helm, you still have these great playmakers. Um, all of a sudden, they're they're far more efficient and better in the second half than the first half. I just I don't feel them. I don't think that they the logical progress the logical progression is the same because there are fewer new pieces. Like the thing about the Bucks is everything there was essentially new, right? You had Brady, you had Gronk, you had Brady and Gronk meshing with Arians. You had Antonio Brown coming in. Uh, even the guys that had been there for a while in terms of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin were new to Brady and to, you know, so everything was new. And inevitably that was going to take some time to gel and figure out where the meeting point of all these things were. In Seattle, most of it is the same. They've brought in a new offensive mind to like help change what they were doing, but effectively everything else is kind of the same. Like, okay, you're, maybe Dwight Eskridge comes in when he gets healthy and, and adds something to it. But I don't see necessarily the logical progression to we're trying to find our feet right now and eventually eight weeks in we'll figure out where all the wrinkles are and now we'll be cooking. I, I don't think it's the same as the Bucks last year. All right, so they uh, were they both uh, two and two here? Standings? Just pulled them up. Seahawks moved to two and two. Russ continues, has, has never lost three games in a row. Yeah. as a starter so that that record remains we now have let's talk all nfc west here seahawks and niners at two and two we'll talk cardinals rams which we discussed on the pff nfl daily today if you don't have the daily go download it we discuss and pose the question sam are the cardinals the best team in the nfl i know they're four and oh and i know they've beaten some good teams but we get in depth about whether or not the cardinals are the best team impressive win against the rams so we'll talk about this game a little bit but again there's more detail on the daily and more specifically answering are the Cardinals the best team in the entire NFL so impressive win man especially what the Rams were coming off of last week yeah and this was the the first game where Matthew Stafford like hasn't looked phenomenal um and against the Cardinals defense which is really overachieving it feels like um we'll Stafford look- had probably the most incredible throw of the week a cover two shot that was like like a cover cover two not shot but a seam seam ball right Right in the middle of three defenders. Best throw of the week. But the consistency wasn't there for Stafford. That was bad. And as you mentioned, Arizona's defense, I don't know. I still don't know what to make of them. Yeah. If you can trust them going forward. I, I, 
I don't know why it's working, but it is. Um, like I'm not, <laughs> I haven't quite figured out why this is still functioning. Um, guy, they're secondary. Just the personnel look like a massive weakness on paper, and honestly, it still kind of does. But they're outperforming that level. Um, they they're not giving up those big plays. Like Matthew Stafford thought he had Deshaun Jackson on a deep kind of post crossing route, and you know the like it wasn't a well thrown ball, but it neither was a catastrophic. And then Byron Murphy just comes over the top, makes a play on it, um, like phenomenal play by him again. And he's made plays against Julio Jones. He's making plays against all these top receivers. Somehow that defense just isn't allowing any kind of big plays against it. And then teams haven't been efficient enough to kill them with a thousand paper cuts underneath. Uh, so all of a sudden, the Rams' offense struggled for the first time this year. And then they couldn't stop Arizona's offense, which is really taking that next step this year. That was the big question for them going into the season. Can Kingsbury take a step forward as a, an offensive mind, as a play caller? Can Kyler Murray take a step forward to, like, together? Can they develop? And what does the, the impact of a guy like Rondell Moore coming in do to this offense? All of a sudden, all of this is functioning at once, and nobody can stop them right now. Yeah, I just uh, somebody in the comments was was saying, "Hey, let's." I can't wait to hear you guys give Cliff Kingsbury credit. And I, you know, again, it's not about where he moves guys around or whatever it is. I love the playmakers, man. I love the, what they've built. I didn't, I didn't know what they were going to get out of AJ Green, but you have a game like this where you get something out of AJ Green, and he's your your leading receiver. DeAndre Hopkins has been battling injury, and this is the thing too, right? Hopkins has been on all these teams where he's like the guy and it's it's a top heavy receiving core and it was nice when he had Will Fuller in the, with the Texans but Will Fuller was hurt a lot last year it, it was top heavy again because Christian Kirk was playing outside it's nice that the Cardinals don't just have to rely on DeAndre Hopkins he doesn't have to be the guy because AJ Green can have some games and Christian Kirk can have some games and all of a sudden, Max Williams was the was the uh, not the leading receiver, but the most efficient receiver from a receiving grade standpoint yesterday. I love Max Williams. Use him more often, right? So, Cardinals have options in the pass game, um, and also for again a Rams defense that always likes to invite the run, uh, but still plays it pretty well with fewer box defenders. If you can go out there and gash them with some big runs when there's five and six guys in the box, that helps as well. So you don't have to completely rely on the pass. And the Cardinals did that. They did a nice job with that. Chase Edmonds ran the ball really well. He looks good. Um, so they got playmakers. You got Kyler playing at a high level. Really impressed with what the Cardinals are doing. Where are you putting the credit for this? Um, because the like the guy asking for Cliff Kingsbury to get the love. Um, obviously, this is like the opposite of the Chicago Bears Matt Nagy thing. It's not a hundred percent one place and zero percent somewhere else. There's a there's credit going around all over this offense right now because it's doing really well. Where would you place the majority of the credit? I think I think it's in the team building. I think there's a little bit in team building. There's a little bit in Kyler Murray uh, just hitting hitting year three in, in actually having a bit of a linear progression. He's throwing the ball over the middle of the field much better. He adds a couple freak plays per game, which are great. We started to see more of that last year than we saw as a rookie. And then, yeah, I mean, Kingsbury's offense is going to work better when he's got better players. Because to so. me right now, this is being driven by Kyla Murray way more than it's being driven by Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, I'm not saying he's doing something magically, schematically that is leading to this. 
but it's certainly a combination of everything. And Kingsbury, it's it, player development isn't just like, oh, I called this really good play. Like the coach as the CEO, so to speak, deserves credit for like the whole at some point. So if the whole is getting better, including Kyler Murray playing better, the credit has to fall on the head coach at some point, right? It's not just Kyler yeah, getting better. But this is but Kingsbury's a part of that development. Like the question coming into the year was can Kingsbury's offense develop and sort of take steps forward schematically so that this this system is better and that the performance of everybody is better and allow Kyler Murray to be the better quarterback. You know, is his offense actually starting to hold back Kyler Murray was one of the things. And I don't know that he's done an awful lot that different this year than he had last year, but his playmakers are better and Kyler Murray is playing better. And therefore, everything is looking better. Like, I I don't know that he's done that much different this year, and yet the results are obviously a lot different. Like, to me, Kyler Murray right now deserves the majority of the credit, and then, you know, the additions of guys like Rondell Moore and the moving of Christian Kirk, which, you know, Kingsbury definitely has a part of. Like, it's not those things didn't happen in a vacuum. He was part of the decision-making process there. But then you get to, like, changes that he's made from a schematic or play calling point of view what do you make of the rams then coming out of this um just to here's stafford's grade so far through three weeks he was putting up mvp caliber stats with passing grades of 78.9 79.9 72.4 through three weeks so 70s those are good game grades by the way Mm -hmm. this game 62.7 this is where again I, i don't know that the scheme was that much different other than stafford missed more throws and this is why like I, I don't I want to give the Cardinals credit for what they're doing offensively I'm still touch and go defensively I think this was more of a Stafford Stafford left some plays on the table other than the best throw of the week he left some plays on the table and uh, he's not as consistent as Jared Goff who has the same grade range every single week true this great how about this Stafford's passing grade this week is lower than anything Jared Goff has had this season oh no no of course didn't. Stafford has three better ones much better ones as well but um Maybe they just go as as Stafford goes here, the Rams. I mean, that's the risk of this, right? You bring in Matthew Stafford because the ceiling is so much higher, and when things start to break down and the offense can't get it working, Stafford brings something to the table that Jared Goff didn't, right? This Jared Goff was a paint-by-numbers quarterback, and when the numbers don't exist anymore, Jared Goff can't paint. Uh, Matthew Stafford can extemporize. He can make plays up on the fly. He can what? He can what? Extemporize a word look it up it's not even one of the words of the day i haven't even been sent that one that was Your just vocabulary is that good it was just in the noggin um now i really hope it's right i, I, I make up words like, like trickeration in your extemporary my favorite part about that was the was the the trickeration thing the definition that somebody sent emailed us in was not only that like it isn't a word but that it's a word specifically made up by sports announcers to make themselves look smarter good for you man right it's a good one. Compose, perform, or produce something such as music or a speech without preparation. Improvise. There you go. See? Yeah. That's good. Good vocab. Uh-huh. Proud of you. Anyway. Continue st- your point. Stafford can do that. Golf can't, essentially. But the problem with that is it doesn't – it comes with downside. There's negative attached to it as well, which is why Matthew Stafford has been Matthew Stafford throughout his career and not, you know, Peyton Manning. Like, for all the good that he brings when things break down and the ability to create on the fly, sometimes it doesn't go well. And he I, creates bad things on the fly. The one other thing, too, how, what about the, the emotional aspect of this? Like, the, the Cardinals played the Jaguars last week, 
the Rams beat the Bucs, right? They had they put a lot into beating the team to beat in the NFC last week, which was the Bucs. They did, a, and they, they played a great game. Um, again, I think it just shows how difficult it is week to week in the NFL and how difficult it's going to be in the NFC West. All right, two more games to get through here. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers. Packers win 27-17. to 17. They got up early. Big Ben had a nice big-time throw for a touchdown, but... It wasn't much else after that. No, no, there wasn't. For the Steelers. This was pretty depressing if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or player or coach. Or... Could you explain to me why last week they throw a swing pass to Najee Harris? Not a swing screen. On 4th and 10. On 4th and 10. Yep. Not a swing screen. A swing screen is by design, and it puts blockers out in front. It was a swing pass. Yes. Early in the play, not like a four-second Yeah, like down. a design yes. swing. And then Najee had about 18 defenders he had to try yes. to get through. The 4th and 10, the play drawn up to gain the 10 yards required to keep the game and the drive alive was a quick swing to Najee Harris in the flat and hoping... I don't even know what you're hoping for. Like, are you hoping that they're not covering it? Or are you Maybe. hoping that once they covered it, Najee can beat one or two or three or more players to the 10-yard line? Whatever it was, it didn't work. Maybe Big Ben is uh an analytics guy yeah and he was furious with the first round running back selection and you know petty ben was just like all right let me give it to my give it to my first rounder you think he's making a point fourth here. and ten here you go 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 be a first rounder beat everybody for the first down i love these conspiracy conspiracy theories <laughs> uh, a friend because of mine called stevie yeah. texted me yesterday and was stevie. like here's a uh, here's a theory that Rodgers intentionally was a disaster in week one, just to, just to send a warning, right? Oh, if you're gonna you're gonna mess with me in the offseason, this is what it could look like. Like if I if I'm <laughs> if I'm gonna play like this, it's all over. Forget it. Like and then you know once the, once that was out of the way, once the point was made, Rodgers goes back to being Aaron Rodgers, and we're cooking again. I love that. Yeah, conspiracy theories are fun. Um. Anyway, I'll, carry I just on. Say, on fourth and four, yes. the same thing happened. The same freaking play, and it was a. But it was a quick game concept, and they show the end zone angle. And he's got the little, like, stick route wide open beyond the, at the sticks, beyond the sticks or whatever. And he throws the swing pass again to Najee Harris, yeah. who again cannot juke 18 guys for the first down, <laughs> even though he only needed four yards, because how the heck are you going to do that? And then they had a fourth down later in the game, and it was, like, it was like fourth and four or something again. So they threw, like, a one-yard shallow cross to, to Juju, Who's like trying to Michael Jordan from Space Jam, like trying to like stretch twenty five feet for the first down line? It's like, what are you running? These are like, there's merit to the idea of sometimes you need yards after the catch to pick up a first down. Yeah, you can't always throw the ball beyond the sticks, right? But on but, fourth down, you probably. But on fourth down, I would suggest that your primary motivation should be finding a route where it it's already beyond. It's already if you complete it, you've already made the first down, right? How's yeah. that? How about targeting a route where if it's if the guy catches the ball, you've already made your play, and then everything on top of that is a bonus. Instead, they've been faced with three pretty freaking critical fourth downs in the last two weeks, and all of them have been absolute no-hope plays from the outset. And all that said, right, um, there were plays. Um, they had no Chase Claypool in Pittsburgh. Uh, Deontay Johnson came back, so they've had some injuries or whatever, but Juju was open up the seam once or twice, right? They've had open throws beyond the sticks, and Big Ben just continued to miss them. Or he was just missing quick outs. I mean, he was just off, man. 
um, and he's been off, and he's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So the uh, the cliff the cliff talk remains for Big Ben. He just does not look right physically. Uh, for all that we joke about Najee Harris, like he's a pretty fun little running back, and he's tough to tackle, and he's he's a physical. good player. I he's mean, a, he's a very good player, but that cannot save. Nobody ever had the an issue with Najee Harris, the player. The yeah. issue was always if you're drafting a running back because you looked at last year and said, "Oh, our, our running game was a problem." How do we fix that? Well, you draft a running back. You draft a guy that's better than the running backs we had, and that's the difference between crappy running production and good running production. If that was your belief, you are being shown in no uncertain terms this season that that is simply not how that works. And if your offensive line isn't good and can't run block, then Najee Harris, no matter how many tackles he breaks, is not going to transform that. And like that is the point. People are simply... The kind of the glee that some people are taking from the demise of Pittsburgh is simply a reflection of A, we told you, and B, the reaction to all the Pittsburgh fans that were like, you guys are idiots. Najee Harris is a great pick. The offensive line will be fine. Like, there were some people that were pretty obnoxious about all that. And it's difficult not to, you know, be like, well, how's that looking right now? And the people that were like, oh, we were 11 0 last year. Big Ben's an MVP. I mean, I don't know how many of those people still existed by the end of the season, but sure. They are 2-8 and eight since starting 11-0 and 0 last year. It was 11-0, and 0, right? Yeah. Because they, they finished 12-4. and 4. Team. They, went, they finished the season 1-5, and five, including the playoffs, and they're 1-3 at the moment. 2-8 and eight since starting 11-0 and 0 last year. So it's not looking good in, uh, in Steeler land as far as the Packers go. Another, you know, decent game for Rodgers. He did, you know, he actually missed a lot more throws than he usually makes. Uh, miss uh, than he usually that he usually makes. Uh, a lot of them were late. Does I felt like they were trying to still trying to put some points on the board late. The Packers, but it was the Randall Cobb game. This is this was Aaron Rodgers, uh, the conspiracy theory again, trying to you know prove that his trade acquisition of Randall Cobb was a good one. Now it, that one I could buy. Cobb looks good. It, that if. That's a conspiracy theory I might actually have some time for. That you know, it's Randall, not even a conspiracy. It's like here's this player that I want to you know get involved. Yeah, yeah, but like Randall Cobb hadn't really done much in the first few weeks, and you were in danger of this. Like, well, maybe we shouldn't be letting Aaron Rodgers make some decisions. And that's no, no, like we're gonna we're gonna force feed Randall Cobb some targets here, so he ends up with five catches, sixty nine yards, and a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that happened. He's always been. Um... He's just always been such a good runner with the ball, too. I mean, he played quarterback. He played wildcat quarterback in college, and he was so good after the catch. But even, you know, Aaron Rodgers, it was a third down game, too. Rodgers making third down conversions. But uh, Rodgers converts on third down. And then you see Cobb put his head down and run through the Steelers' defense. And uh, he still has it, man. He still has some of that ability. Isn't he only 30 still? Weren't you telling me about this offseason? Like, he's still fairly young. Uh, So... Um, A.J. Dillon also looks pretty good. He, he had 81 yards on 15 carries as well, the big 250-pound running back. And even just like the catch and run that he had for 16 yards, he is pretty nimble. You know, like you watch Derrick Henry catch the ball, which he's doing a lot more this year for the Titans. Derrick Henry's a little clunky in the pass game. A.J. Dillon's not like that. I, he's actually potentially a weapon for them as they go, running okay. back weapon. He's just kind of efficient in the run. He's efficient, I keep using, but uh, he's – a little more of a natural pass catcher than you would expect for 250. I see what the Packers saw in him. Not in the second round, but I see what they see in in A.J. Dillon. All right. Anything else on this? J.R. Alexander gets hurt late. 
potential disaster. Didn't he get hurt the on Packers. the fourth down swing pass to, to Najee Harris? Because he was the guy I think that met him. Like, and I think he walked off and then got carted off. Yeah. Uh, carted to the locker room after the fact. Somebody broke out that stat. It was from like ESPN Stats and Info that Ben Roethlisberger become the first quarterback in the last 20 years or something to have to have completions on fourth downs that both lost yardage. Lost yardage, yeah. yes. Like not only are they not picking up fourth and 10 and fourth and four, but they're actually losing yardage on the plays they're attempting to pick them up with. That's amazing. It's tough to do. It's really tough to do. All right, let's wrap it up. Baltimore Ravens 23, Denver Broncos 7. So the Broncos have their first loss. The Ravens move to 3-1, and one, and Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt in concussion protocol early on. What would you make of this game? Uh, and Teddy, yeah, he got hurt. He was under siege for this entire game. Like, So this week was a our Carolina for real, our uh, Denver for real. Like they've had – they were – Obviously a great record, but they hadn't really faced anybody yet. And this was kind of the week that both those team seasons were starting. Denver struggled a lot more. Now, yeah. their defense still looked pretty good. They did a nice job of keeping Lamar Jackson bottled up. Baltimore had this absurd streak going. So Pittsburgh had that sack streak going, right? The like most consecutive games of the sack. It was like 40-something. I, I didn't even realize at the time, but that got broken last week when they had that complete failure of pass rush against Cincinnati. Didn't sack the Bengals, and that broke the streak. Baltimore had this has this streak going of consecutive 100-yard team rushing uh, efforts. And, and they still do. And weren't, <laughs> weren't breaking it until the very end of this game where Drew Locke threw an interception in the end zone trying to get, you know, get a consolation score. And rather than take a knee for the last like three seconds on the clock, Baltimore ran a play with Lamar Jackson as the ball carrier to get the three yards or the four yards they needed to get over the hundred and keep that streak alive. That's a decision. Like when you consider this as a team that already lost a running back through meaningless carries in the preseason, <clears throat> like handed a guy six snaps in one drive during All of which the injuries the Ravens have had. Right now, granted, they've happened everywhere. To Practice, not only whatever to not only like run the pointless play, but to run it with your quarterback is a hell of a decision. I mean, it's interesting. Like Baltimore gets talked about, and are one of the most like um, smart and progressive and sort of woke, quote unquote, franchises in terms of like what they know about things that matter and how to do things. For them to decide that that record, which in like in abstract terms is meaningless right 100 yard rushers or 100 yard team performance consecutively for them to decide that that was worth risking you know one more lamar jackson play now you're like all right he's already carried the ball a bunch in the game he risks every time he drops back but like this is genuinely he takes a knee zero risk versus we run him into a defense some risk i don't know yeah. what that risk is but again you're a team that's already lost a running back for the season on like a pointless running play and for them to just decide that that was worth doing I thought was really interesting do you think they're gonna they would do the same thing in the preseason to keep their six-year winning streak alive the undefeated too? yeah if they streak. know about the rushing record they know about the I mean they were tweeting about the preseason thing Not right that, there's a difference between the social media team and the actual coaching staff I'm just saying there's some awareness there obviously I just think it's interesting that they determined that late in the game it was worth running a play to try and get that record I thought I that was kind of fascinating Latavius Murray on track to be like, I guess Mark Ingram wasn't um, 
wasn't all that like success rate and yards per carry and all that stuff weren't great for Mark Ingram last year, but Latavius Murray dangerously being the guy that's just not not as good in the in the Raven system from a running uh, run game perspective. They made Broncos a weird, did a pretty good job up front. They the Denver defense, I think. So coming out of this game, you're like, well, which what it, what did we see from Denver in terms of those first three weeks versus this game? And I think the defense is still good. Yeah. Like they, the defense is for real, and it is going to cause problems for every team that they face. <clears throat> Here's the thing about the Ravens, though. And um, Greg Rosenthal from Around the NFL, friend of the show, um, even though he hasn't been on it, I invited <laughs> him to the show, but okay. we haven't done it yet. He, made, he pulled out the stat last week that Lamar Jackson, crazy, leads the league in yards per completion and yards per carry. Like, you just never see things like that, right? This is one of those games where the run game wasn't there for the Ravens. It wasn't as good as it usually is. But you've got Lamar created. They averaged 8.5 yards per attempt. He threw for 316. They had big plays. This and is this a rough, is Marquise rough game. Brown catching the ball yeah. when he gets behind the defense this time. This is why that is the skill. The skill is getting behind the defense. Keep chucking it, and Marquise Brown's going to make a dive and catch this time for a 49-yard touchdown. That's a big they're creating these chunk plays in the pass game, even when the run game's not there. That's a good good sign for the Ravens. This was a rough game for the people that say Lamar Jackson can't play if you force him into obvious pass situations. Like if he if he has to pass the ball without the threat of a run game, Lamar is found out. Like yeah. this game, he had to do that, and he absolutely still kept cooking. Made some great plays to Mark Andrews, hit the dime to uh, to Marquise Brown, who made an incredible diving catch to make the touchdown. Like that was a great play by him. But Denver's defense, I think, gave a really good account of itself given what they were facing. The offense had bigger problems. They were under siege all game long, whether it was Teddy Bridgewater, whether it was Drew Locke. The pressure packages that that Baltimore blitz was showing them, God, they were just mean. You look at some of the, like, you look at some of the plays, and if you look at it from the end zone view, you know, where you're seeing what essentially, like a, a bird's eye view of what the quarterback is looking at in terms of the threat of the rushers. And you're like, there's set, there's eight guys at the line of scrimmage. Like, you have no idea who's coming. You have no idea who's dropping. You have no idea which side they're coming or dropping from. It's just trying to diagnose that and get a correct blocking scheme set up and a correct protection call is nuts. Um, so Teddy was dealing with it before he, got, he went down, and then Drew Locke didn't fare an awful lot better. But... Half their dropbacks, by the way, they were pressured. Yeah, and you could see it with Teddy. Like, even when he was able to navigate the pressure and get rid of the ball, his accuracy was suffering from it. And he's been really accurate so far this season, not just, uh, you know, adjusted completion percentage, but actual ball location. And he was just leaving these passes, like, inside on defenders. And, you know, even when they were in man coverage, he's, like, hitting the defender in the shoulder rather than put it somewhere where his receiver can make a play. Um, it, just, it just wasn't great. And then Drew Locke comes in. And you're like, you know, in a funny in a funny way, this might not be terrible for them because Drew Locke is the guy with the potential for the big play that could bring them back in a game like this. Like, as much as Teddy played better, is dinking and dunking going to get you back in this game? Probably not. Drew Locke comes in, actually has a deep shot to Cortland Sutton there. Missed it. Like, yeah. a foot and a half or whatever, just out of reach. Like, that was a play that could have swung this game. Couldn't make it happen, and then same thing, like just just getting destroyed by the blitz. Sounds like we might see Locke uh, at least this week. Well, right? concussion, yeah, there's a pretty good chance. There's a pretty good chance we will see Locke. Um, I mean, he made a couple nice throws. It was just late. 
Yeah. Um, he, so he made that much. missed that throw to Cortland Sutton. There was another deep shot that he took where I think he just misread the coverage and didn't see Jimmy Smith dropping underneath it, and Smith just kind of cut it off. Um, that wasn't great. That like could have been more dangerous in a different situation. But overall, like, I didn't think either him or Teddy played that badly. They were just they were just beaten up by the by the Baltimore pressure. Like it's so amazing when you consider that Baltimore can't run that defense against the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes just toys with it and destroys you. Like, and yet that lays asunder the the Denver Broncos offense for two different quarterbacks. But it's it's good on the Ravens though to be able to do that. Again, we talked about it all Chiefs week. Like, hey, maybe don't run your same scheme and you know zero blitz all the time and all this stuff like they did against the Raiders in week one. The ability to adjust week to week, morph defensively, zone, man, blitz heavy, soft, whatever it might be. Um, it's a weapon for the Ravens. And I think that might be the story of the four weeks for the Ravens so far. We've seen them win. Well, not win, but they lost to the Raiders. But we've seen them blitz like crazy. We've seen them play coverage. We've seen them have success with both. We've seen them win with the ground game. We've seen them win with a deep, deep passing game and create chunk plays. I think that stuff bodes well long term. And it doesn't feel like two years ago, it was a dominant Ravens team. It felt better, mm -hmm. right? This doesn't feel as clean for the Ravens this year because it hasn't been as clean. But I don't know if it matters. It's like just they came out of the first four games with three wins, one against the Chiefs. Yeah. And remember, we're in a good position here. We're a couple of weeks away from saying this seems about to drop to 0 2, and they have a nightmare of a run in, like their yeah. final seven game schedule. Like they're, the Baltimore Ravens are all of a sudden about to be in a deep hole. Um, and they come out of the other side of that. They're 3 and 1, tied in in first position with the Bengals and the Browns, neither of whom have looked amazing. Like the Browns got their win against Minnesota, but like Cleveland hasn't looked, they threatened to beat the Chiefs and it's like, oh, this is this is going to be a really good team. Like they're going to be gunning for the AFC championship game and looking to make a Super Bowl. And okay, they're in a similar, they're three and one as well, but they haven't looked amazing doing it other than on like defense has suddenly been tearing people to pieces. But if you're Baltimore, after the first couple of weeks, you suddenly have to feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah, I love that three-way tie. AFC North looking good. AFC West, NFC West all looking good. Chiefs are still in last as of now. Do we have a, a Villanueva update? He got hurt. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Watch Good Morning Football. Maybe they'll have an update on him. You, your insider doesn't have that? No, my insider does not have that. Somebody give me an Ali Villanueva update. I need him. I need him back. I need him back on the football field. How'd he grade? He was okay. Before he got hurt. Not too bad. Yeah. Pass blocking was better. All right, good. But, I mean, that was, he he graded as you would expect Villanueva to grade at left tackle, which is solid as a pass blocker, not great as a run blocker. Yeah, we'll this is the first time we actually got him the way he's supposed to be. All right, did, is did that you, everything? Did we touch every game? Did you know who their backup was before he got to come into the game? Was it Andre Smith? Yeah. That's... Andre's still lurking around, man. I don't know how I don't know how successful that's going to be if he has to play more than eight snaps. Yeah, at some point we'll see if the I mean the Ravens are battling here. We'll see how the if the injuries catch up to them at all. Um, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to everybody on YouTube. Be sure to hit that thumbs up button if you've enjoyed this broadcast with us. Um, we always enjoy. If you've enjoyed this broadcast, what the, what the hell it's are you talking about? It's a podcast. I don't know. I'm done. We've been here over two hours. It's been awesome. Reviewing all the week four action tonight. We've got Chargers Raiders. It's going to be great as well. If you want a preview for that, go back, listen to the preview show where we talked about every single game. But thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back here on Wednesday.